0: Hello everybody, welcome to the Two White Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasberry. <laughs> this is Frank Pelicone. And it is February 9th, 2020. We're covering episode 63, which is the top five Black Exploitation films. And Frank, before we get started tonight, I wanted to just briefly discuss the idea that uh, we um, we are we are two white men who like have um, a white experience that are going to talk about these movies um i do think that like we're pretty knowledgeable about the genre and the time period and uh, certainly the influences i think of the genre um in terms of music and film later on and stuff like that but um there are some things about the genre that are controversial um in the community and stuff like that and um we'll be talking about those uh things like because i don't think there's any way to not talk about them especially with some of the criticism of these movies um so I just want to put that caveat out there that we, um, <clears throat> we were, we were looking at this from, from, from our perspectives, like, you know, in our experience. Uh, so you decide that you wanted to do this. Um, uh, what was the rationale for like deciding to do this?
1: I can't remember what movie I watched, but I thought it would just be interesting. Maybe it was a previous podcast. I don't know. I don't remember. I mean, I like, <sighs> We've said this like ad nauseum, but like the 70s is my favorite decade of film and most movies that fall again, that like, like black exploitation, like whatever, like umbrella were filmed in the 70s and they have a 70s like sensibility to them. So yeah, I tend to like them more like just by default for that reason. I think there's some really good movies that came out of the genre. Like I think it's a, I don't know maybe it's properly appreciated. I, it feels like it's underappreciated to me. And I think there's a lot of like directors and actors that came out of it that, and films in general that just don't get the recognition they deserve for being like influential or for really kind of like setting the stage for the next 20 plus years, 30 years maybe of like film and culture.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think you're right that um it's, I think it's in some circles, it's probably appreciated, probably, but I think like mainstream wise, it's still this thing that like isn't really given a lot of respect. I mean, we'll probably talk talk about it here in a little bit, I'm sure. When we, I think it's inevitable that you have to bring up Quentin Tarantino, right? Um, which, um, I know we're loath to do because you were done with (laughs) talking about Tarantino, but it still seems like it it does show you why I think Tarantino's power, though, that's like he does still have to keep coming up every once in a while. Um, um. It's,
1: it's interesting because my i always talk to my mom about the podcast before i do it so usually have dinner with my parents on sundays mm-hmm. and um she always asks me like what movies are we doing and i tell her and she's usually seen like three or four of the movies mm-hmm. she's seen one movie on this list and it was because my grandmother loved it hmm. of all things yeah. um so i think it's like it's not something that you see a lot on like turner classic movies or no. amc or whatever you know i mean it's just well, it's 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 weird.
0: Just in the movies that are on your list here, it's like one of them is only on. Where'd you, where'd you watch the uh,
1: the third one? Yeah, it's on Prime. It, I rented it. No, you, no, 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 no. Okay, so <laughs> all right, <laughs> there's a sub service of Prime called Brown Sugar. Mm. That's um. Like a collection of like black themed like movies. Oh, okay. And um, the third movie and the first movie actually were both okay. free. Huh. So I got a one week trial for it yeah. that I'll forget to cancel. That's that's fascinating though,
0: because like I look I, I look. I'm, I'm the one that, like, ends up, like, looking at these movies up a lot of times and kind of, like, letting you know, like, hey, here's where it's at. Right. But that didn't even come them anywhere in my search. Is that service even existing? Like, and it's, it's, it's fascinating how much stuff is out there now
1: in terms of streaming services yeah. and who has rights to what. Well, what Prime does, and they hide it in some ways, is they have niche services for, like, any specific interest. So a lot of times when I look up stuff, I'll get, like, I don't know, like, asian splatter punk like mm-hmm. streaming service and it's i don't know 50 to 60 movies mm-hmm. and you pay like 2.99 a month i think for it right they're all like one week trials so i always tell myself i'm gonna cancel them and then there's just another thing that gets added to my monthly right <clears throat> monthly streaming budget as as someone who
0: just had to talk to comcast this week because they're went up like 12 dollars from the previous month it, it it again did cross my mind it made me think like i want to do that episode at some point like how i want frank to sit down with his damn bills and figure out how much he's really paying yeah like on all this stuff <laughs> because I, I i would be fascinated to know um <clears throat> i mean you figure it's worth it like i don't know hey you get use out of it i think i mean except for your hulu that got automatically um renewed oh
1: man i wanted to cancel it so bad but then i found out that um I can't remember what the show's called. It's like the Great Lego Challenge or something like that. It's Will Arnett hosted show with people who have to build Lego things, and um, that's on Hulu now. Okay, so, I got so it's worth Hulu. the ten dollars, right? Okay, I think it's like twelve actually. I paid for it, <laughs> right? right. Uh huh. Eleven ninety nine, I believe, is my favorite. okay.
0: So, but yeah, it, it, I, to back to that point, I the the difficulty in finding some of these movies. Like, I ended up having to. Um, I'll just say I ended up having the torrent sweep or the third movie. Right. Like and um I, I uh, it was very difficult to find. And it's like so there's this like little obscure service, you know, that right. found it. I mean, um a couple of the other movies were easier to find than this, but it's like there's some out there. Um like so I ended up watching a, a handful of other movies beyond these movies this week from the genre. And one that I remembered seeing, at least mostly when I was young, that I remember liking was um this one, Trouble Man um about a black private eye um and it's uh very much of the time period the 70s but like plot wise it's very much of just reminiscent of old noirs, just updated and um to 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 the culture and to the time period itself and um that was i could only find it on youtube like somebody put it up like it's nowhere to like rent or like see and luckily it was a decent enough copy but it was only on youtube and it's like there's so much of the stuff that just like isn't curated it seems um amazon but, has a lot of movies up like in terms of like some of the more like i think coffee's up and right you know superfly i think Super, is i on. think so and dolomite and um is yeah, up do, there no
1: dolomite's on netflix i believe no it's a no
0: I it's think not amazon like counter-programmed by putting dolomite on oh, on, on there and um, when I watched
1: My Name is Dolomite, I watched Dolomite again. Yeah. And I was free Maybe, support. Maybe it
0: was when that first came out on Netflix, but it's on Prime now. I think they're trying to, like, steal, you know. Steal that thunder. Right. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 so I do think that, like, mainstream-wise, it is still underappreciated, probably. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, like, uh, first, the influences of the genre. Like, how do you think that the genre has, like,
1: influenced film, I guess, first of all, like, through the years? I think you look at stuff, like, just start, well, I mean, start in the 70s by itself. Like, there's, throughout the entire 70s, not just, like, the neo-noir, like, crime thriller, which is pretty much what, you know, most, most like, exploitation movies are. But also horror movies, like the Black Hula movies. Sure. Um, there's ones that involve, like, zombies. Like, um, Ganja and Hess is one that came out in, like, mm-hmm. the mid-'70s, which is about, like, you know, like a voodoo hogan or whatever. Um, and then into the 80s, like, you look at, I think, things like um, 48 Hours and Trading Places, and I think there's an influence there where you can see people like Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor, um becoming, like, big stars uh, through their, maybe <clears throat> if it wasn't, like, so established already that, like, black film could be profitable and was, like, marketable, um, that they might not have gotten those chances. Um, and then you look at, like, some actors that were in it. So you look at, you know, John Amos and James Earl Jones and um, yeahfet Kodo. You know, we right. talked about him earlier, like, <clears throat> getting roles that are sort of, similar to these and like creating characters that like kind of pull from that era, but are like more like firmly placed in the modern world. Um, we talked about, um, Yafet Kodo's, um, uh, is it Lieutenant Giardello? Lieutenant uh, Giardello. Um, homicide, Homicide. Mm -hmm. um, where, and you pointed out that like, it even like references his past and it's almost like a reference to, um, a role that he plays actually in one of the movies on this list. Yeah. um, and then in the 90s, you know, the the boom of, like, the kind of postmodern noirs that come out and, like, crime movies. So Tarantino's whole, like, filmography of the um, 90s pretty much, especially Jackie Brown. Um, and then other stuff like small films like, um, like Two Days in the Valley and Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag and things. Like, there's just these small things that you can see, like, an influence from um the snappy dialogue the sometimes like um, absurd premise like Mm -hmm. from a crime perspective um and then one of the the biggest influences i think is like culturally on like um like rap culture like hip-hop culture and music absolutely um Mm -hmm. just in not only like all the samples that are pulled from these movies right um but also just references you know like um shaft dolomite right. um superfly um you know i mean foxy brown takes her name from right. a film yeah. from this time yeah um and even beyond rap like uh, rob zombie who like one of the biggest users of like samples in his music huge fan of black exploitation movies mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of stuff from shaft and some of one of his one of their songs and mm-hmm. they definitely pull like from the the dialogue um yeah i mean i i know
0: like doom um mf doom like uses like a lot of samples and um we were just talking about it right before the podcast of one of these movies um mad lib or you know so it goes by quasimodo at different points um for some albums like like actually takes one of the songs from one of these movies and like you know kind of recuts it and like does right. a track on it but like Gangstar uses samples from like stuff like what's it called cornbread and earl and me uh-huh. um you know uh, hell up in harlem is like why like some of the music there is like widely sampled in hip-hop so it's like uh truck turner um is you know sampled like yeah. really heavily i think dre sampled that even at one point like so um it's still like you know like a, it's 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 there like you know that music and then just the music the musicians themselves doing the songs for these movies i mean just like alone for like the movies that are on your list it's like you have um isaac hayes right earth wind, know, and fire. Rip, wind and fire uh marvin gay um bobby, bobby womack, womack yeah you know um jj johnson like it's like there's all these like you know well-known uh r&b and right. soul stars like that are doing the music for this stuff um, which is incredible when you think about it. Like, you know, cause some of the times, some of these people weren't popular at the time that they were doing the music for this stuff. Some of them did have a name, you know, but ended up becoming bigger, um, than they even were. And it's like the, the, the musical influence from the genre is incredible. Like, right. Long reaching.
1: Especially know? like it's use of like, um, uh, like interpretive jazz kind of to mm-hmm. like buoy scenes. Like it's. Yeah, Like, you go a long time through the 80s where it's that, like, kind of, like, bumping, like, jazz score mm-hmm. to um, crime movies, yeah. really, just in general. But, like, pretty much any kind of, like, heist or, I don't know, like, time where somebody's got to, like, is, like, carrying out a plot. And I don't know how else to say it, but, like, you get, like, that, that score, you know, that. Like kinda that's that was ridiculous. What was it again? But do it again. <laughs> <laughs> <You> asshole. <laughs> um, like the like 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 the jump and bass and like the Watchikawa like guitar and Yeah. I'm not anyway.
0: n- I'm n- I am i am i am have no no experience with musical theory. Like I get what you're saying. I have no idea how to word it myself. So
1: um <laughs> But it's a very driving it's both like upbeat but also ominous a lot of times, like the way the score is. Like it's it's incredibly cinematic, and I think that it's, like, something that when you hear it, you init- you automatically associate, like, oh, this is, you know, some CD bar or some private eyes, mm-hmm. like, whatever office or... I don't know. Right. I the, the
0: only thing I have to add in terms of film is, I think, you kind of mentioned it, but it's, like, as we've been recently off-air talking a lot about, like, the 80s and action films and stuff like that of the 80s, like... Like, how much this genre particularly like the way it took some of these old private eye stories and then kind of up the violence and those right. kind of things in them, how much of that really influenced just mainstream action movies, I think, of the 1980s. Sure. And you like take any of those and like kind of how over the top action movies became in the 80s especially even when it was just involved cops and you know like trying to track you know people down or private eyes or like you know kind of like mercenaries whatever the story is of the of the movie like and just how over the top that action was so it's like you have things like you know um you know lethal weapon like and kind of like how like kind of over the top like some of the some of the violences and that sure. like you know running scared with gregory hines and billy crystal which is movie that didn't particularly hold up when I rewatched it again, but I loved it as a child, and, like, that's really over the top. Like, you know, um, even, like, the violence of things like Scarface, I think, like, you know, um, is is, is probably heavily influenced by some of the decision-making that goes into these movies.
1: Yeah, so there's also, like, I just thought of this. There's two other, like, quick answers I have to your question about this influence. And the first is um, in film technique. Like in the way that things are filmed is that these movies were filmed a lot of times on location in actual cities. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of like a large move away from what in in, in in inherently was like the difficulty of filming in like an actual like building in a city or in like the streets and that, you know, you didn't have to film on like movie sets or sound stages anymore. Like they could actually film in the real world environments and it lends like more of like a vital, like realistic air to these movies. And they, they, they feel like you feel the, I don't know, realness of like the city around them and like all of them. Um, And the other thing too is just in like the DIY approach of a lot of these filmmakers to getting movies made that they had trouble getting like major studio backing for. So they would just finance it themselves Um, A lot of times with, like, loans or, you know, like, through their other endeavors to, like, build up enough money to make a movie. And, I mean, I I don't think that can be understated, especially, like, through the 90s where that was, like, a huge crux was people who – that idea that if you have a camera – and then an, I and a vision like you can make a movie.
0: Well, right. I mean, I and I think we'll probably end up having to at least a little bit more talk about like the history of the genre. I think when we get to this number three movie, right, because of how pivotal it is. And I think that we can probably go into a little bit more detail about like that movie and like it will back up some of the things you're saying and like be a little bit more clear and explicit, you know, right. um, as we talk about that. But um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, guerrilla filmmaking to some degree is uh, advanced. By this genre, I think. Yeah. It's not not that it didn't exist already, but I, I think that, like, some of the ways that they had to go about doing things, I mean, like, really um, kind of made strides and breakthroughs, like, in terms of guerrilla filmmaking. Yeah.
1: I mean, you have people like Ed Wood and Roger Corman yeah, through sure. American International. Right. Who were doing things like that, who would go and film without yeah. permits or right. just kind of, like, find locate, like, didn't have location scouts. They would just find a location and be like, well, this is going to happen right. here yeah. and film it there. Um, but a lot of those things are filming fantastical, like scenarios like monsters and outer space and sure. whatever. And, and, and honestly, I mean, like, like if you just take Ed Wood's example, I mean, kind of a joke. I mean, like,
0: like, but the like, it, it's obvious the production quality is low, right? What's impressive about I think this is that this production quality, some things withstanding, and
1: some movies withstanding, is pretty high, right? I mean. Despite all that, yeah, but um, I don't know. I was, it was interesting watching these five movies again. Um, I wish I would have had more time to watch like others. Like I have some stuff in my queues that I kind of wanted to go back and watch just okay. for my own enjoyment. Like right. after this,
0: yeah, and I I do want to get into a little bit about the creation of this and like um, what was what was kind of happening before the genre um in terms of. Black actors and black filming, but but I I'd like to do that probably when we get to that three movie and kind of just talk right. about like the because I think that's part of its importance. Um, is 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 the change from the late like the sixties sure. in, into into that movie? But um, you asked me a few weeks ago the question of like why they don't like why so many of these filmmakers don't get credit um for like their influence on like an of independent film, and um, I, I do. I think it comes down to the mixed feelings on the genre as a whole is what it is. I think it, I think this genre distilled to some degree, even though there's such mainstream influence from it is still really controversial from what I can tell, even inside the black community From my research, um, and like reading like, you know, different people's opinions on it, um, to the point that like, you know, the, uh. Oh, I can't remember his name. Griffin, Griffin from the NWACP. Like that's where black exploitation comes from. Is that um, is actually from the NWACP criticizing the genre, right. in the way that they portrayed black males as violent, uh sexually overly you know, sexual, yes, hypersexualized. Means, right? You know, like and and all these you know other things, and thought that it kind of embarrassed black people, um, and that seemed to come from more of a middle like uh, maybe maybe more upper middle class like intellectual circles uh where i mean these movies and the reason they kept getting made is because they're heavily popular among
1: like everyday people um you know especially like um did did you watch my name is dolomite yet i have not yeah you should you should watch it i mean it's really good but it also is an interesting look at like the process behind the creation of a like you know well that movie specifically but right um you know, how he re more, how he, like, all the things he had to do and how much, like, money it made just, you know, from, like, underground promotion on radio stations and just having, like, throngs of people lined up around blocks to come yeah. and see these movies, so.
0: Yeah. Um, now, I, I saw um, Mario Van Peebles' Badass, you know, back when it came out in, whatever, 04 or something like that, 05. Um, uh, so, I, I know a little bit bit more just from that movie and like reading about all of that at the time period of like the like the industry itself not so much the reaction necessarily like from from moviegoers right um but uh but yeah i mean i i think a lot of it is like a lot of people just don't want to talk about the genre like I, i just think that there's too many you know and i think during the time period people certainly i think it's always had this thing where it's like you got to think in the '60s, late '60s, early '70s. It's like there's just like today, but worse. I mean, there's still like a tremendous amount of racism. So white people don't necessarily, at the time period, especially like the culture then, it's like didn't want to talk about black exploitation that much. They didn't want to give it any credence, really. Um, you have a right. few reviewers that are that praise some of the stuff. um but as a on a whole, they looked down upon it because it was just they they, they saw it as just kind of trashy. Yeah, and um, so it's like, and it, I, I'll be honest, I I mean, I think it's uh, I do think it's that Renaissance of the '90s that like starts giving it more respect
1: again. Um, and to some degree, I I think you do have to. I mean, I'll be honest. I was a little uncomfortable with the idea of talking about it because I don't know. Aside from just an appreciation of the movies themselves sure. like, films. And like, that's I'm,
0: that's the main thrust of what we're going to be doing right. is talking about the movies on their own merits. But, I mean, we always talk and analyze in terms of, like, you know, cultural and social impact a lot of times with yeah. some of these movies. And it's like, I think some of these, because of their subject matter, you can't get away from discussing it. And, um, yeah, I wish I was a little bit more maybe educated uh, on the subject um, uh, myself. But, um uh, again, like it just—it just seems from reading the criticism of the time, from at that time period, contemporary criticism of of white reviewers primarily, um, and then reading what was put out by um, black intellectuals at the time, it, it seems like it's a it's a, it's controversial, um, often looked down upon genre at least during the seventies and into the eighties, and then sometime in the eighties into the nineties, and again, I, I think that has to be. The renaissance that it comes from i think both hip-hop and possibly tarantino sure um I, I i think it looking back on it i think people do appreciate it a little bit more now and see like what it was trying to do and like what it even if they don't like what it was did they see the influence of like how it did i think progress some things um because like you said i mean though on the flip side the opportunities that were, were provided to sure black writers black actors black directors uh was invaluable i think at the time um and i mean we're going to see like different actors that pop up in some of these movies that are you know massive stars by the mid 80s sure you know household names um so oh. okay you want to go ahead and jump in number five yep okay so number five on your list is well-known <laughs> cult movie shaft from 1971 it's directed by gordon parks it stars richard roundtree is the title character john shaft Moses Gunn is Bumpy Jonas and uh, Charles... Uh, oh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm Italian. I should know that. Um, uh, C-I-O-F-F-I.
1: Oh, Cioffi. I think.
0: Kiaffi. Um, it has an 88% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes. has a 68% from audiences. Hmm. Uh, you want to
1: tell us just a little bit about the movie? Um, I would actually have thought it would be opposite. I would too, float. right? Yeah. Um, I mean, Shaft is... Probably the most well-known movie on this list we're going to talk about. Definitely the most, like, referenced and culturally relevant. Um, John Shaft's private investigator um, sort of walks the fine line between, like, working with the cops and, like, sort of having a kind of an understanding with, like, the underworld. Um, he's roped into investigating the kidnapping of Bumpy Jonas's daughter, At the hands of the Italian Mafia. Um, Interesting thing too. That as much as like the Italian Mafia is romanticized by hip-hop. You know like um, specifically like you know like Biggie Smalls and um, some others like really. um, The Wu-Tang like pulling like a lot of their pseudonyms from like Italian mobsters. Um, A lot of these movies portray the Italian mob as the villains and, like, straight-out villains, like, not even any kind of nuance to it. Like, they're the bad guys. Um, Which I guess is part of the fact that, like, the Italian mafia, like, controlled, like, the drug trade in Harlem. So maybe, like, that's... I mean, they obviously were, like, villains, but not in the romantic way that... Stuff like Goodfellas and... um, The Godfather movies portray them. Sure. Um, So, the majority of this movie is kind of like a sort of traditional like PI type movie where he's trying to figure out if um Jonas's daughter is alive, like what happened to her, who took her and where she is. Um he works sort of at odds but also like alongside um the Kiafis, uh what is it in in or something.
0: Yeah, and and, and Rossi. Okay. yeah, yeah The, the detective.
1: Mm-hmm. Um Who's trying to look out for Shaft, like, trying to make sure that, like, he doesn't get killed, yeah. but Shaft just kind of keeps him at arm's length most of the time and lies to him or feeds him at false information or just gets what he can from him and then, like, kind of whatever, like, blows him off. Um, the end of the movie is almost like a paramilitary type thing, like, operation to, like, rescue this woman from the hotel that she's at, um, including kind of a Mission Impossible-esque, like like guys dressed as whatever bellboys so they don't arouse suspicion and they're going to trigger a distraction in this room with an explosion. Anyway, yeah. um, the end result is that, like, the end, the end of the movie is pretty violent and Shaft ends up, like, rescuing the girl and still being the, whatever, like, badass, smooth, private dick for all the chicks or whatever the line is from right, the song. Right, yeah. Um, Richard Roundtree is... Pretty fantastic in it, like it's yeah. a it's an iconic performance, I think. Um, melding like a suave, I don't know. I don't want to say subtle intellectualism because that's like sounds really shitty. But he's a guy that like is street smart, but also smart smart, mm-hmm. and is able to like easily move between like these different worlds of like talking to these people who are like crime lords and.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think you can see. I think I think you're right. It's uh, when you say use the word subtle with it. I, I do think there's some subtle code switching in the scenes that obviously is taking place, uh, depending on who he's talking to, yeah. um, whether you know, and um, but it doesn't even though that's happening at the same time, like, he doesn't necessarily change who he is.
1: No, he's always just John Shaft.
0: Right. Um, You know, it's it's just the way, at times, he he will communicate. Um, But there's still that confidence to it, no
1: matter what. I mean, it's... It's interesting because, like... And you watched more of these movies than I did recently, but, like, a lot of times there's an air of... I don't want to say like overt criminality but like like john shaft is just a guy that knows how to operate in that world mm-hmm. like effectively yeah but he's not much different than like philip marlowe or sam yeah. spade oh, absolutely. i yeah. mean they're it's it's a character cut from that same cloth where he can skirt that line and will do things that are borderline illegal but is really just doing it like in the effort of like a greater good um, and again, Roundtree's performance is really great in it. Um, I love the way the film is shot. Like it's, I like the colors in the film a lot. Like I like the, when I was a kid used to see, um, velvet paintings of shaft, um, at the flea market and yeah, like the that, whole movie kind of yeah. feels like a velvet painting to me. Just like the, like the dark infusion of colors. And this is something you and I were talking about Lethal Weapon the other day, and I was complaining about, like, the colors in it. And it's, like, this has a similar, like, palette. Like, it's very, like, rich in the way that it's filmed, but it mm-hmm. feels, I guess, because of the, um, whatever, like, the the film, like, technology at the time, like, the cameras and stuff. Like, it, it has that really nice, like, I don't know, sort of gritty 70s look to it, but still feels, like, polished. Definitely... Easily the most polished movie on this list. Like, the movie that feels the most like an actual... I agree. Like, Hollywood production.
0: Yeah, it has... Um, because it was. You know? I mean, just to kind of, like, put it, like, it's the same year, right? Yeah. So, it it honestly has just a little bit more polish than um, French Connection does. Yes. Like, it has the same gr- feeling of grittiness, but it has a little bit more polish. Well, on um, purpose, too, though. I think French Connection's filmed like that. I agree, yes. I, I think... Yeah, absolutely, I agree with you. But I like that it does have a little bit more polish to it. Um, You're not
1: supposed to feel dirty watching Shaft. You're supposed right. to feel kind of dirty. Yeah, like you've gotten some of the whatever stickiness of that crime on you in French yeah. Connection. Worse. But one
0: of the other movies on this list, and this movie, like, um, and I think you kind of mentioned it when you were, we were talking before we started talking about this, is that um, like some of the like the, the exposition or not exposition, um, the establishing shots, right? Like, like that
1: show the city are absolutely. Like beautiful, so like I av- want to. Yeah. I really want to talk about that when we talk about the other movie you okay, mentioned yeah. because uh-huh. that's yeah. actually a seminal part of like the filming of that movie. Right. But um, we'll we'll, we'll talk okay, about it yeah. more in reference uh-huh. back to this. But
0: yeah, I love the establishing shots in this though. Like,
1: but um, yeah, I mean it's it, it's a fun movie. It's pretty easy to watch. Um, again, it's it's a cult classic for a reason. It's because it's like some movies you watch, like especially things like Dolomite and um superfly and some of those other ones like they feel like cheap productions like mm-hmm. they've they've they feel like exploitation movies you know like yeah. horror movies that you would see from mm-hmm. around the same time right shaft is a like a real fully fleshed like film yeah. and it's just i don't know i mean it's, which, it's which originally and i from what i understand
0: um i didn't do a lot of reading this but I, i've read about it before apparently was going to be a white actor, uh-huh. and then once um, the number three movie on this list was like show that could be it was successful, they ended up switching to um, Roundtree. Yeah. pretty quickly, and
1: which is weird because I don't know how it would have. I mean, unless they completely revert the plot, I don't know how that would. From made what make I sense. gather,
0: yeah, I think things got changed on, like in the weeks leading up to production and on the set and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. so they they changed it pretty quickly to kind of capitalize on like the. The burgeoning um, black audience scene, yeah. like, of the time period. Um, which, I mean, was, was pretty crazy, like, when you think about, it, like, how quickly they must have
1: done that. Yeah, I mean, it really, it's a... Uh, cultural significance, obviously, comes from the the score, specifically, and sound the Isaac Hayes soundtrack, you know, mm-hmm. including, like, the, the title song, um, which might be, like, one of the more famous title songs ever, I, I think. Oh, absolutely. Easily, like, you know one of the most right as soon as you hear like those opening like strings like you know like what that song is and like most people can quote lines from it sure um and it's been parodied like it has
0: and i mean the reference number of references to like you know um shut your mouth you know and that kind of stuff i mean Uh, Christ, Shaft, right i mean it even shows up like i mean fox molder like the character on the x-files like is it's well established throughout the course of that series that um that he's he's a big fan of um there's a couple of different, a few different references to black exploitation movies and he's a big fan of those movies and like there's a number a couple of references in it to Shaft specifically yeah. and and one to the theme song and um yeah it's, it's um it, it's certainly one of the more culturally significant I think sure. just in general mainstream culture
1: but it was hugely popular um it spawned two sequels which right. aren't nearly as good as the original yeah. Um, a short-lived television series, which I've never seen anything of. Yeah, I've Um And then a pseudo sequel with Samuel L. Jackson from like 15 years ago. And then, then there's a remake that I have not. I don't know anything. That about. That just
0: came out this like in the past five, three months or so, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, right. Um. So right, how many year for you know 30, 50, 50, Jesus, 50 years removed,
1: right? Almost. almost I mean, and, like yeah, it's still 49. it's still there yeah and right. still relevant and still enjoyable True. and yeah, yeah, right um definitely a a good movie and a fun yeah. movie to watch
0: and i never do this ever but i want to bring up at the same time and i know you didn't get a chance to watch this um because it was off the list and you got a lot going on but um so th- i mentioned it briefly this movie trouble man which came out um, right around let me look at the year real quick it came out right around the same time um as this movie 72 it came out a year later um it's a movie directed by ivan dixon and it stars robert hooks um who does a phenomenal job in this movie um of playing mr t who is um, a private eye kind of fixer um for the local black community um and kind of works as almost like liaison between the cops and the the black citizens um and kind of just like Shaft kind of knows the underworld well enough to like kind of like move in and out um very similar to Shaft in a lot of ways in terms of some plot elements at times certainly like the the same he plays serves the same function kind of the Shaft does in the community it seems um but uh worth definitely worth watching I think as well as something to kind of pair with Shaft in terms of like a similar character and stuff like that, and I think Robert Hooks is absolutely amazing in this. It's like you could um, I I, I almost wish they would have been sequels with that character because it's it reminds me of so much from a character standpoint of like the noir detectives that like I love and a lot of people love. I mean, like Marlowe and Spade and like those old Bogart roles. But there's such a, um, but but the, the way, and he doesn't talk a lot. He's a man of few words, like a lot of those characters are, but this Mr. T character. But, I mean, it's uh, so refreshing to just see, allow a black man to ser- to play that detective role in the same way that Bogart was allowed to play it um, in, in Trouble Man. And um, a really phenomenal role um, for him. The plot is, you know... Maybe some elements just like Shaft, like where it's like okay, like you know, like, it's right. like that's the plot. But uh no, Trouble Man is definitely like something also worth checking out. And it's free on YouTube. Um, at yeah, a um decent co- decent copy of it. But <clears throat> but I just wanted to mention that because um, it is very similar to Shaft. I mean, it's obviously like you know the the plot elements like you know are different enough, but it's like there's some elements that are exactly the same, um, including like the kind of con- tr- uh, confrontational relationship with the white cop who not right. a bad guy but is like you know also like you know yeah uh, so like some of that stuff's all the same too but um it's good it's worth checking out too okay um so number four on your list is the bingo long traveling all-stars and motor kings from 1976 it is directed by john badham Uh, It stars Billy Dee Williams as Bingo Long, James Earl Jones as Leon Carter, and Richard Pryor as, well, yes, uh, Charlie Snow, uh, which he goes by a number of different names throughout the course of the film. It has an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and a 67% from
1: audiences. Man, that's so weird.
0: Almost exactly the same score.
1: I wonder what the audience, like, what they don't like about. I mean, Bingo Long is a, a pretty fun movie, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Probably the one that was—I don't know. This was this was my nostalgia pick for for this list. If there's one movie that can be called a nostalgia pick, Shaft was too a little bit, but Shaft actually has like a lot of importance to the genre. And I don't know if Bingo Long like necessarily qualifies, but I like it a lot. So fuck it, like so, we're talking about it.
0: It's a good movie. Um, go ahead and tell him about Bingo Long, and I'll try to find out the answer about the audiences. So,
1: Billy D. Williams plays Bingo Long, and um, baseball player in the Negro leagues um when does this take place the 1940s maybe i guess yes i believe so yeah maybe even earlier than that because they're driving like packards and stuff um so recruits a local recruits other baseball players from the negro leagues to form this traveling almost like harlem globetrotters-esque like baseball team where they do like they have like trick plays, and they do like silly things. But they travel around and basically do exhibition games. You know to earn money and to be away from like the oppressive nature of like the owners of the the Negro Leagues. Um, they are basically pursued by um, henchmen of uh, one of the owners, whose goal is to get them to come back. And just rejoin their teams. Um, and it actually goes to some pretty, like, for being a comedy movie, some pretty, like, gruesome extremes to try and, uh, you know, recapture these people. Um, that, that sounds awful. Um, to basically, like, convince them that they need to abandon this, you know, whatever. Almost like vaudevillian lifestyle and come back and just be players in the leagues. Um, also an interesting subplot of a scout from the Brooklyn Dodgers um, following the team around, watching um, one of their younger players who's really talented. Um, eventually, it, it comes down to they're going to play one exhibition game um, with one of the like actual league teams playing against their team of quote-unquote all-stars. Um, and whoever wins is, um, if, if the real team wins, then Bingo Long and all of his guys have to, like, just basically go back to join their teams again. And if um, Bingo and his team wins, then they get to join the Negro League as an actual team, um, which obviously they do, <clears throat> thanks to the um, last-minute return of the uh, James Earl Jones' character. Hmm. Um, so I saw this movie when I was maybe six or seven. Uh, my grandmother loves loved this movie. Um, I'm surprised that I was allowed to watch it because, so I think it's rated PG, right? I didn't, I actually never look at that anymore. There's some, there's some harsh language in it and some pretty, um, pretty adult themes to the whole thing.
0: Well, yeah. And there's, you know, I mean, that's the time period I know, but some problematic treatment of women certainly in the beginning of that movie, sure. too.
1: Um, <clears throat> The the best part about this movie, honestly, is the chemistry between um Williams and uh James Earl Jones. And just Billy D is fantastic as Bingo Long. Like he's Yeah, PG, you're right. All the energy and charisma of like, you know, Lando Calrissian that he would play like a few years later. Um Him and Jones just have an easy kind of back and forth. Like they you know, there's like a good camaraderie between him and the actors. It's just, it's, it's a nice, like funny ensemble piece that actually deals with a lot of pretty adult and I don't know if controversial, but definitely like problematic issues. Like, um, the integration of black, black players into like the white major league teams, which is a pretty major plot point. Like at the end of the movie where this kid gets offered, which actually always like in hindsight kind of bothers me. Cause it's sort of like shits on the, shits on frank robinson as being the first like integrated player that there's just this random fake kid
0: yeah i've seen that mentioned in um in, in a couple reviews yeah, it's
1: it's it's a weird like diss kind of i don't even know if it's a diss but it's a weird omission or i don't want to use the term whitewashing but like revisionist history of what actually happened sure. um but you know like the idea that these men are slaves to these owners just Mm -hmm. as much as like and in some ways the owners are worse than like like the white owners would be because they are they exploit them a lot and they take advantage of them they don't really pay them anything um weird look at like how you know there's the scene like i guess about three quarters the way through the movie where um they can't pay for their hotel because they've had to use their money to help out, um, rainbow. One of the players gets like stabbed by these henchmen, right? Which is like also a really uncomfortable scene. Like him collapsing on the baseball field after being like stabbed by these people who just want them to not be able to like, like whatever, do play their exhibition games. And just, you know, this hotel owner that was like nice and friendly to him, like threatening him with a shotgun and, Mm-hmm. confiscating their vehicle and the idea of like Billy of uh, Bingo Long like committing grand theft auto to like steal a vehicle and escaping and I don't know there's a whole lot of like small things um in the movie that are like sort of uncomfortable and like I didn't really obviously pay attention to when I was a kid cuz I was just laughing at you know the guy driving a motorcycle through a billboard or whatever but sure. um I think it's also not a really, like, realistic look at how the Negro Leagues actually were. Or maybe it is. I don't know. Like, I don't really know much about that history. I don't either. Um, But I just, like, I've I've always loved, like, Billy D. Williams in it. I think because, like, I knew him as Lando Calrissian by the first time I saw this movie. Mm -hmm. So, to me, it was... That was just always Lando, and it was always cool to see him. But he's yeah. really good in it. Pryor's was, good in it. Right. James Earl Jones is really good in it.
0: The Pryor character, is, like the, the character itself, is, yeah. is a hilarious concept to some degree.
1: Like the idea that he's well, he's a Mexican at first because he feels that it'd be easier for a Mexican <laughs> to get in to right. get into the white leagues than a than a black person. Right, and then he like tries
0: out like a Native American. like right. <laughs> like yeah, it's 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 a funny
1: Chief Tahok. I, I can't remember. Yeah, so I can't it's, remember. Yeah, it's like the Apache word for tomahawk, and he's got the mohawk, <laughs> yeah, like shaved into his head. But um, I don't know. Just I have a lot of fondness for this movie. Yeah. I think I,
0: I thought it was a fun watch, and I thought it was two good performances from um Billy D Williams and James Earl Jones, and I felt that you could see um. I think you could see, like, the differences. Like, I thought they, they did a really good job in the scenes with them to show the differences in the two personalities that were there um, overall, but, like, how, like, ultimately, like, they were both striving for the same thing, and they were just kind of, had two different ways of going about it. Um,
1: yeah, because James Earl Jones, is, his, his character's there because he believes in the idealism of what they're doing. Right. Well, he's he's the All-Stars. one that
0: read the the boys' book, right? That, right. that was his, that was his book right and um you know is the is the whole thing and the, and the, i guess he loans it to the billy then billy D. Williams comes in and talks about means of production and right you know, i mean um so yeah i mean like he's the he's the he's the idealist out of the two um that doesn't want to like compromise like at all or like um but also like doesn't want to deal with the nitty-gritty so, aspects at times of that getting to that idyllic place yeah. um where i think the Really d Williams character a little bit more of the so, real world and willing to do things to... it's actually
1: and this is probably a really weird analogy, but it's almost like um the william holden uh um what's his name fuck from the wild bunch um ah, oh, the guy with the gap teeth help me out why can't I think of his name Bert? oh yeah i right. I
0: would slip my mind right Man, now. Man, that's really it's bothering just me. like I, my mind is like not in the right space for the Wild Bunch right now. But like it's that's... the same
1: dynamic there, where like Billy D. Yeah. Williams is more of the William Holden, like he's sure. the plan maker, and he's got a little bit of like a like a huckster in him, where he can like kind of con people into stuff. And right. um, James Earl Jones is like his stoic backbone that's like always has that has his back and stands up for him, but at the same time has his own set of like morals that he's that drive him to be loyal and whatever. and um, And I, I just, I try to view it just
0: I mean, I certainly recognize all the things you were talking about that you recognize through this viewing. Now that you're older. I mean, I saw all that. I try to still just kind of view it as like a, as a, as an action, like, you know, or as an adventure comedy kind of like, which is what I think it's aims to be. Um, so I didn't put a lot of deep thought into it, but, um, um, I certainly think there's some stuff going on there, uh, with like the mentioning of the boys like i think that um and 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 the and, and the black owners of the negro league I, I definitely think there's some some stuff there dealing with um Booker T Washington the boys and like that that debate sure. in the uh, you know in the um in the culture um but i haven't put a lot of I, I just haven't put a lot of thought into it but i i think there's probably some really interesting things going on here subtextually that i just haven't had the brain power to 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 um um, spend time yeah I know it. what you mean yeah
1: I mean it's the other movie on this list that actually is like a Hollywood production and feels like one yeah um yeah there's a free version of this on YouTube that's a beautiful almost HD transfer of it like it's perfect so if you have any yeah. interest in watching it like it's there it's like an hour and 50 minutes maybe yeah, so that. yeah Yeah. it didn't feel like o- overly long though I thought yeah I mean I I don't know again this yeah. is one of my childhood movies um and um like the fact that she would always let me watch these like more adult movies because she thought it was funny to like mm-hmm. teach me curse words and right yeah um surprising like use of the n word in this movie though that i was like kind of taken aback by because i don't mm-hmm. remember that at all right um and for me like that's why I how know were was, you
0: watching it though when you were a kid was it on television no or it was not? a vhs it was vhs okay. yeah it was yeah.
1: one of those things so we used to rent movies every weekend and what my parents would do is they would movies they liked. We had, you know, the stack of like empty VHS tapes and we had two VCRs. So we would, they would record their movies on the VHS and then give them to my grandmother to watch because she wasn't going to go rent movies or anything. Um, I remember when they bought her a VCR for Christmas actually. So she had, um, like she had like a uh, red skeleton, like, um, Collection and this is I I saw Richard Pryor ups with her and yeah like I think Raw or Delirious one of the two like I watched with her mm-hmm. which was really kind of adult but she was always like thought it was hilarious to like let me hear like profanity sure we actually so we went out to lunch today for my son's birthday and um we were talking about one of the first like when I was like four years old. Um, and I was kind of learning how to like phonetically sound out like words. Um, I read the word like I read "fuck you" on the side of a Seven Eleven, but I sounded out "fuck" like phonetically and <laughs> was trying to figure out what it was. And uh-huh. it was just me sitting in the back seat with like my grandmother, like laughing her ass off with me, like fu- <laughs> fu- "fuck, fuck, <laughs> fuck, fuck," but that was my grandma, and she yeah. like she loved this movie. She had, like Parenthood was one of her like she had Parenthood on um. <laughs> Audio cassette, and she would listen to that all the time. Huh. She loved um, yeah. loved uh, black stand-up comedians, and yeah. like she really loved this movie. Yeah. Huh. So, so not a lot to say about it, yeah. other than that. Just it's 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 enjoyable. Roger Eber had some things to say about. It. He
0: gave it a two and a half stars out of four. Yeah. Um, he says that it works so hard to be entertaining, um, is so determined to be funny, colorful, poignant, nostalgic all at once that it almost succeeds in outrunning itself. It begins with a wonderful premise. Um you know, a team of stars from the Negro Baseball League walk out of their tight fisted owners, set up shop for themselves. But then it's more than willing to entertain us with the hijinks of the stars than through the intrinsic interest of the story. We fear there must have been more, and it must have run deeper than this movie will allow. But as I say, I th- sat through it, I almost began to feel like a member of one of the all-stars' first white audiences, laughing at the cut-up antics of the players, but never seeing the hurt underneath. Bedham's direction is unsteady, his continuity is sometimes confused, and he blows a lot of lines. By having them spoken off-screen for no apparent reason, Bingo Long is fun. It's pleasant to watch, but a cake walks too much on its way to the box office.
1: I mean, I guess it 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 made a phenomenal amount of money for the yeah. time. Like it was like like fifteen million, which is probably like two hundred million in today's terms. Like if yeah. you look at the like whatever inflation.
0: Do you think Ebert is looking for? somebody to be revolutionary here when maybe it wasn't the right time necessarily to be right? Like, like the fact that this, something like this gets made at all in 1976 is not a, not a foregone conclusion necessarily.
1: Right. And you know, and I just
0: wonder if he wants them because I do, th- like I said, I think there's something deeper going on here. If you're really watching it for that, like, I think there's like coded language at times that it's like, if you're really looking for it subtextually, there there's, there's stuff going on here. Um and I but I think he wants it to be more transparent is how I'm reading this like he wants it to be focused on upon more.
1: Yeah, I mean I the, I feel like I'm beginning to like learn a lot about Roger Ebert over the past like whatever two years we've done this yeah. year plus. Um, just especially like how he views movies in certain time periods, and I think this is a time period where Ebert wants everything to be meaningful and impactful and socially relevant and. I mean, I think this movie tries, Yeah, like where he says it tries to be, it almost like outpaces itself or whatever, however mm. he phrased it. Um, I I think it's just trying to like subtly talk about things while still be like overly entertaining so the more people can see it. I mean, one of the things that like I've like, I kind of learned, I think, or like maybe my opinions have changed, but. I think sometimes you have to, like, be entertaining to a wide variety of people in order to get your message across. Even if you got to bury it under, like, a bunch of, whatever, like, slapstick and right, whatever comedy. That's, that's certainly how I see the strategy here. But I also, like, I feel like there's definitely some good dramatic moments in this movie. Like, this movie's not oh, yeah. 100% sure. like just a wall-to-wall comedy. Like, there's right. definitely things where you know, like, you feel for their struggle of trying to, like, basically free themselves from the oppression of, like, these, these tight-fisted, like, and homicidal, in some ways, like, owners. Like, they, the James Earl Jones character is kidnapped and held in a funeral home right. by the thugs that he has to, like... Not, not that that's not putty for
0: laughs at times, though.
1: A little bit, but there also is the whole idea that, like, this man is sending people to like kidnap him. Sure. You know, and not the first time that they've like kidnapped somebody. So yeah. I don't know. It's, um. Well, I mean, I think
0: another movie that I watched, I don't know if you ended up getting a chance to watch that either, but, um, I rewatched Cotton of The Harlem I that Ozzie, Ozzie Davis directed. Um, I haven't seen that in a long time. And, um, I, I forgot how much, uh, comedies in it and not that the novel itself doesn't have like some of that like um really weird almost like french comedy it's like it's it's very it's it's very bizarre at times um but um like that's another one that like you know kind of masks some of the deeper uh trauma and meaning and stuff underneath uh the comedy Uh, and um and, and I certainly think that's part of the strategy here sure. is, is to do that. And I think, I guess Ebert just wants it to be more open uh, about dealing with those issues. And like, to your point, like when you're trying to appeal to a wide audience, I think sometimes you have to do that in order to right. get it through. I mean, certainly, I mean, we have a long history of that and every like, you know, different time period, like certainly they were doing that because of the Hays Code in the 1940s. Oh, there was yeah, a lot definitely. of different things that like ended up having to be talked about in code you know and, uh, and and hidden so i mean it's like I, but I, yeah i think ebert you're right like i think he's this during his time period he's um yeah he wants he wants people to, like to, things to be socially impactful yeah. yeah okay so number three on your list um this is a movie that pretty much like kicks off the entire genre as a whole it is a uh, melvin van peebles uh starring and directing in 1971, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, like I said, it stars Peebles, uh, Simon Chuckster, and Hubert Scales. It has a 75% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes. The audience score is not available. It's um, interesting. Do you want to tell people a little bit about this movie and uh, what you
1: think about it? So, it's the story of um, titular uh, Sweetback character. Um, Who's raised in a brothel uh, by prostitutes, more or less. Um, he's taken in as an orphan and fed and then, like, raised as kind of their, like, butler, kind of. Um, raped at a young age by an older prostitute um, because he has, like, like a, a large dick, kind of. Um, that's where the nickname comes from because, like, he's really good at, like, having sex. Um, as he gets older, he's a performer in the brothel, like he does sex shows with the prostitutes. Um, one of the weirdest, like most, uh, this movie's plot is like nonsensical for the most part. So, there was a a black person was murdered. So the cops, who are friends with the owner of the brothel, want to take Sweetback and pretend like they're bringing him in as a suspect. So that the black community will think they're doing something, even though they're doing nothing, to solve the murder, and then they'll bring him in and let him go because they don't have enough evidence, and that's like their plan. But on the way there, um, they pick up a Black Panther, um, who they beat, and that causes Sweetback to beat them, and then Sweetback becomes a um, fugitive, and the rest of the movie is basically him like eluding police capture, um, and going through like various. Um, Interactions with different people Including the Hells Angels Oddly enough um, Some homeless people uh, Other like I don't know like prostitutes um, Some really weird Some actually some really revolutionary Not not revolutionary but really Maybe revolutionary is the right word Like focus on um, Double exposure And like image flipping And Messing with, like, the speed of the camera in terms of, like, his escape. Um, it's definitely what was reserved to,
0: or, like, was part of the avant-garde more that, so than anything that would be put out in theaters necessarily.
1: A lot of um, really interesting and something that I, I, I had forgotten, like, happens in the movie where it feels like he's talking to just, like, he's going up to, like, random people on the street. And, like, asking them if they've seen Sweetback because it's kind of like the cops are looking for Sweetback and they're like, mm-hmm. all like nah, I don't know him. Right, nah, I haven't seen him. A lot of repetition of lines, which is very avant-garde where it's almost like they filmed multiple takes of the same scene but then just show those multiple takes, like, different reactions. Um, the scene where, like, you kind of meet Sweetback's mother at the end of the movie. And find out that his name, like, may have been Leroy because she may have had a Leroy, but when the kids get too old, they, they get taken away. Mm-hmm. And then that scene is, like, repeated. I mean, it's probably for, like, five minutes, like, her just saying the same lines over and over and shots of, like, all these children around her. Yeah. While she's, like, shelling beans or something. I don't know what she's doing. Right. Um, Pretty, pretty graphic in terms of, like, a sexual content. Um,. And I guess it's rumored that some of the sex scenes were, like, not simulated. Like, it was actual, like... Pretty sure that's correct, yeah. Basically, like, pornography that you're watching. Mm-hmm. Um And one of the weird, like, that he can, like, conquer a lot of situations just by, like, fucking somebody. Right. Um, yeah. Including the end where there's, like, a trio of, like, gay men who are willing to, like, cover for him just because, like, they hope that he'll come and have sex with them. I don't know. Um, interesting because you know a lot of times when you have like the, the fugitive and especially like the, the black fugitive even if they're in the right they die at the end you know like you look at something like like Night of the Living Dead is a good example where like the hero of that movie is a you know a black man and he's killed at the end because they think he might be a zombie but it also might be because like you know these podunk, like, white sheriff or deputies are, like, just willing to shoot the guy um, just because that's their natural inclination. And the fact that Sweetback gets away at the end, you know, he 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 makes it into Mexico. Like, he eludes the police. He outsmarts them. Um, even though they come close to capturing him a few times, um, he gets away with the coda that, like, you know, he's going to come back to collect his dues or whatever. Right. I can't remember what the exact line is. yeah. Um, a lot of like really hokey performances in it, but he's fine as a titular character. I, I don't really think he does much. Like he doesn't. He doesn't not, have a lot of lines of dial. He doesn't speak much. Yeah, he's really mostly just and, either running or yeah. or screwing or fighting. Yeah, I and mean, that's like kind of like the three mm-hmm. like like modes that Sweetback like operates in. Right. Um and plays pool for a mm-hmm. couple of minutes. Um. But, so, wildly, like, influential. I mean, like you said, it's the the genesis point of, like, this entire genre is this movie. Um, Melvin Peebles uh, filmed the movie, I think, with, like, a loan from Bill Cosby and, like, his own money. Like, it was all independently produced. Um, you can tell. Like, it's a very amateurish production. But with some really, like, interesting ideas. Um, again like there's one of my favorite scenes that you know in in the movie is um the woman who's like singing at the club that they're going to question mm-hmm. and it's one of those things like where it feels like she was doing multiple takes and they just filmed it and like presented it all but intercut with her like singing on stage and like you can you know that she's like kind of covering for him um and i just like the colors there and the way that she's, like, reacting when histrionics to, like, this guy that's just standing there smoking a cigarette, like, not saying anything. Um One of the interesting things, and I want to talk about it more, like, I guess, in the next, next movie, and maybe the first number one movie, why do you think, like, they're very hesitant to show drugs in any of these movies? Hmm. Like, even though the crux of a lot of them comes from, like, the illegal drug trade, I mean, that's what, you know, these criminal, like, whatever are doing like so I, I bring it up because um in that scene where she's like i don't know sweetback, back i don't know where he is like i'm not on the streets anymore and she's talking about how she's clean and she's showing her arms like so she doesn't have track marks mm-hmm. but you never really see drugs in any of these movies almost yeah. like like they'll show anything else but like that's the taboo is showing the actual drug itself
0: does that happen in mainstream movies though too at the same time period they really show, I'm
1: trying to think, does is French Connection, do you really see
0: the drugs in French Connection?
1: He's, like, small times where, like, um when he's shaking down the bar and he's making people put everything on the yeah, bar, like, you the, see, like, pill bottles and, like, small yeah, bottles of Coke right, and, like, yeah. weed and whatever. Hmm. Um I don't know, that's interesting. But I guess it's really, like, Scarface that's the, the floodgates for yeah, the, eight, the once you get to the 80s like it's like you see right, coke mount, mountains of coke everywhere right, yeah that's because they were all doing mountains of coke they just like sure they had they had photo reference i don't know
0: why <laughs> scarface scarface is the, the movie that like comes to mind do you know what movie comes to mind for some reason fatal beauty you remember that movie
1: no no it sounds familiar it's whoopi
0: goldberg and sam elliott oh um, right right yeah yeah yeah. that's the when i think of like so like coke in a movie like and like how much you see of it um that's for some reason that's what comes to mind.
1: I think about RoboCop a lot. Yeah,
0: that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I also think of Running Scared, which I mentioned earlier, because there's like tons of like coke in that, like where they're like tracking down the Jimmy Schmidt's character, who's like the right. drug dealer. But yeah, but yeah, you're right. I, I I didn't think about that. I didn't even consider it. But um, I guess maybe I just thought the implication was enough that I didn't really need to see it.
1: Yeah, but Sweetback's interesting because you know it's about. A black man that's kinda of shit on by the system and is being used by the man to um further their own ends mm-hmm. and fights back and becomes a criminal and the Hells Angels thing is really weird to me. It
0: is. I don't I don't I don't quite that's I'll be honest. It's one of the few things I, I I I there's parts of me that get it like some of it and but a large part of me just doesn't get that part and i think that's my that's my lack of experience maybe of the time period and like what he was trying to go for
1: you know they were an underground organization in the same way the black panthers were sure sure um counterculture you know organizations i guess that were actively willing to work against the government like that the weathermen you know there's a whole bunch from that time um so maybe that's the connection there right maybe um but again like he just fucks his way out of it you know yeah yeah i i I've... there's ideas in this movie too that are really uncomfortable that are like directly talked about that are things that we have trouble even talking about today like the idea that towards the end of the movie they think they've um found sweet back and they right. break into a hotel room and murder a guy sure, yeah who just happens to be a black guy that was having sex with a white woman. And somebody says, that's not even sweet back. And then the one guy says, well, does not even matter? And they all laugh. And it's like the idea that like these white cops are very willing to just like murder a black guy just because he's black. Um, Absolutely. The really uncomfortable scene where the, um, I guess he's the chief of police. I don't know what he is really, is talking to all his detectives about how we're going to catch this N word and, can't let him like can't let this lawlessness continue and wow what does he say it's it's a really really uncomfortable speech and then he pulls like two black detectives aside and it's like you should be a credit to your race by helping us catch this man and yeah it's just um really like a lot of ideas that i i can't imagine were talked about at all like in Oh yeah, I I can
0: I my I think the first thing I texted you I think about this movie was after I finished watching it was that Jesus there's there's things about this that are just as controversial now right. as it was in 1971
1: and sadly things about it that are also still true today
0: absolutely oh yeah like it's crazy yeah. that we're
1: what almost 50 years hence from like that movie being produced and yeah. well probably exactly from when they were filming it 50 years so
0: there, so, so right there's all the police killings and brutality and the the racism in the police that that's all there um that's still there today like in terms of just things that are still either current or controversial like that's still there then you have um the opening scene i think is could never be done in I, film today, I don't know
1: how it was done then. I agree. I don't know how how they got away with it. Isn't that it, that's that's Mario Van Peebles? Right? It is Mario Van Peebles. Yeah, like in that he, role, It's just, so uncomfortable. It it and it is. goes but on for at, such a long time.
0: I, I tell you though, I, at the very end of it, like uh, you can't help but kind of there's this shocking laughter that I had. Like oh my, oh my god! Like I, because I, I have not seen this since whatever it was 15 years ago i watched it because i think it was on the dvd for badass wasn't it like the the, the mario van Peebles like movie or was it a supplement like
1: supplemental dvd i, I can't remember how i saw it
0: I, I i think that's it was something like that maybe i found it somewhere during that time period but i thought it was like on a separate dvd that came with it but yeah, that um, might be right but i um but I was watching it, and I'm, like, I'm I'm shocked and a little horrified by, like, the, this, about, about like, this kid being forced to, to child, like, being right. forced to fuck this woman. But when she, when she credits him and, like, gives him his name, basically, you have a sweet, sweet back. Like, the little smile that, like, and the freeze frame that comes on his face when he, when it's, like, it's sad and awful, but it's, like, at the same time, like, there is this kind of just shocked laughter of like, this this takes a lot of damn guts, right? Like to do that, and um, there so there's those elements of it, but it's like, like I'm trying to think of the word I want to use for this. Like, who, who's your Spanish guy that you love so much,
1: Luis Buñuel?
0: Right. Like, there are elements. Oh, Jesus. Like, anyway, you know how I feel about some of his movies. Right, like right. I, I'm being dismissive a little bit, but it's like he's a he's a fantastic filmmaker. But it's like his impressionism—that's what I'm trying to think. Yeah, the impressionistic way that he films sometimes like makes me roll my eyes. And there are elements like this, of that, in this to me, where it's like there's these vignettes because that's what it turns into—is a series of vignettes sure. almost. That's as, all as, as he as he's on movie. the run, and. It's like there's a plot to that point, and then the plot is just a series of vignettes. But there's elements of, like, that kind of, like, you know, like, um, impressionistic nature where it's, like, it's just, like, it's it's making statements. And I think that the statements today are just, again, as like, kind of controversial and shocking, as they might have been in 1971. And this movie gets criticized for... Heavily for um uh, from different groups of like starting this genre and certainly the stereotypes that go along with the genre the hypersexualized male like you you said like it's like he fucks his way out of everything right um fucks or fights right but I mean it's like if you when you look at like and like this movie becomes um really big with the panthers and stuff like that you know i mean like that they show this like to like new recruits and stuff like and you, right, can you were s-
1: expected to know this right movie.
0: yeah it's like you know and you can see why i mean like you know i mean this is about empowerment yeah he fucks his way out of everything but like there is the scent I, I think what he's trying to show is there is a sense of power to this right in the way that he can
1: do that be you know like and i mean at the end he does outsmart the police just by like switching clothes with the the hobo in Mexico, mm-hmm. sure, still yeah. escaping out into the. But yeah. I, but but the idea of like you know it's like
0: even like the the music like you know come on feet like there, there's that there's that there's that um the terrible song <laughs> um come
1: on feet you know what you're doing
0: <laughs> right Right. Oh, yeah run from it. Feet? yeah I I but it's like but in some ways it's brilliant in this like again and like in this kind of like expressionist way it is it's brilliant right. I, um, of the idea of like, yeah, just always being on the run. And it's like, there's, there's the tie in that much like what KRS does with the idea of officer and overseer. It's like going is doing something similar, like being on the run from the cops constantly is almost like being on the run, being a slave. Right. And it's like, there, there's some element of that to this, that I think like those, those, those uh, undertones are absolutely brilliant and shocking and putting a finger in the eye of the system in a way that's really uncomfortable. That being said, I mean, as a movie itself, I don't think it's very good. No, no, you know. But I mean, in a way that it's making a statement, and it's making a strong statement. Like he's pulling no punches
1: with any of this stuff. Um, it's um, powerful. Yeah, it is. It's difficult to watch at times, and it's um, like I I, I like I like a lot of ideas from, like, a filmmaking standpoint in this movie. Like, Mm -hmm. I like the fact that early on, like, during the scene where he's, um, you know, getting raped by the prostitute, it intercuts scenes of him from the end of the movie, like, fleeing from the police. And throughout Mm it, there's a lot of, like, visual foreshadowing of certain things and... Pardon me. Just the way that, um... The inevitability, I guess, of, like... Him having to, like, flee and just everyone's always taking advantage of him. Hmm. I guess is you know, people's metaphor for the way that, like, he feels that black men were treated. And, you know, I shouldn't say the way he feels, but, you know, the way that, like, black men were treated in society. Hmm. Like, you're you're good enough for the white woman to have sex with because it's, like, a, whatever, it's a taboo. Taboo. Or, yeah. You know, she's excited because she's at the sex show, but yeah. then you know, you're still, like, a slave to the owner of the brothel, the women in the the brothel, the police, you know, and, like, how do you get your freedom? And it's just by, like, running and, you know, violence. And I don't know. It's yeah. um,
0: and, and it's funny. I mean, quickly, I'll just go through a couple key points because I think it's just so the audience understands maybe if, if they're not familiar with some of this stuff. I just want to go through some parts of the village voice review of this movie. Cause I think it says like a lot about the things I'm saying about criticism. Sure. Time time period. Um, so the village voice, um, says that, that this movie does for the black movement, what getting straight did for the student movement. It reduces it to escapist entertainment, cinematic stylishness and near nonsense. The people's problem is that he wants to make angry protests but wrap them in glamorous packages. The first black director to break into commercial cinema, Van Peebles obviously feels deeply about black oppression, but he has chosen paradoxically to make the kinds of unrealistic films for which blacks have justly criticized white filmmakers. A black escapist film is not inherently reprehensible. All audiences need superheroes. What is uncomfortable here is that Van Peebles' continuing insistence on also making relevant angry statements. From the opening dedication, to all brothers and sisters who have had enough of the man, to the warning to Whitey at the end of the film. Little in the film justifies its pretensions, although there is great violence is performed by incredibly characterized pig cops. Such police undoubtedly exists, but we will never believe it because Van Peebles has all the white actors deliver lines as if they were robots. Everything becomes unconvincing except on a mythic, m- symbol, symbolic mythic level. This is especially true of the hero who remains silent throughout much of the film. We are supposed to regard him as a symbol of oppressed blacks, not as a result of what he says or does, but because of the feelings we bring to the film. Van Peebles does not probe deeply like Goddard's recent films. Sweetback appeals to emotions and prejudices present in an already sympathetic audience. Furthermore, the film does not work on its own propagandistic terms because we never really identify with the mythic hero uh, at all. Dazzling techniques, handheld cameras, rapid zooms, freeze frame, superimpositions, multiple images, fast cutting, are intended to present a subjective picture of the character's plight. The result, however, is the opposite, mere visual virtuosity, uh, curiously objective, not involving, and ultimately confusing. So, like, they ripped this movie apart, like, you know, from from every, like, every single, right, you know, side of this. And, um, but some of this stuff, like, you know, you can see that there's a discomfort with the idea of um the more direct black power stuff that you can see in here that it criticizes the warning to whitey at the end and those kind of things um that 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 the, that the cops are character uh, caricatures, it says um but again it's like it's, you it's not it's not acknowledging this like, it acknowledges they exist but it's like it doesn't acknowledge that it's maybe more prevalent just like today to some degree that it might be more prevalent than what so it's like i i this is what you're getting from white people of the time period like white reviewers ultimately from what i can tell reading through all the reviews there's a lot of just different variations of the same thing um on the black intellectual side you're getting criticism from this movie in terms of how it's portraying the male heroes usually sure um uh the female heroes of blacks and exploitation are a different a different conversation but the, the, specifically the male heroes of this are being hypersexualized, um violent uh criminals usually like in some way or another like even if they're they, they commit criminal acts even if they're um you know self-defense like, yeah sure yeah so i i um like i read all this stuff and uh I don't know. Like, I, I, I just feel like some of it misses the point. Like, or just isn't acknowledging, like, how, how bad things really were at times. And it's probably the same story nowadays, I
1: suppose. Right.
0: You know, it's some of the same stuff that's going on, like, of just not acknowledging these things. But I always think back to Amory Baraka's Dutchman, uh, which is one of my favorite plays, like, of all time. Like, you, you've you heard me talk about it extensively. Right. It's really good. Um, And it's like... the one of the arguments that baraka makes in that play is the idea that like where he's hypersexualizing sweetback and then because of that this genre ends up taking that trope and like running with it i, I think baraka's making the argument in dutchman that 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 what to speak to what you were saying is like the idea of the taboo is like that the the, the white people are the ones that hypersexualize black people and put the focus on sexuality um to the point where it's like you know uh, Lulu in in the play is is trying to taunt and get um you know the, the main character Clay to you know um you know try to seduce him to some degree and kind of taunts him like when he shows actual interest in her um and at least that damn line where it's like you know like when he finally snaps and like you know tells her all everything that's wrong with her and everything that's wrong with white people in general and he's like tell her belly rub hate you you know like you want to do the belly rub you think you know that that's what you want out of this but it's like they sexualize black people as a taboo long before black people sexualize black people in a film like this right and it's like I so I, I find the criticism I, I can see both sides of it like I, I, I totally get some of the criticism from the black intellectuals at the time but it's like If you look at it from, and it really maybe does go back to that Washington Du Bois, like, argument to some degree of, like, how you, or at the time period, I guess, like, closer to this time period, I guess it goes down to, like, King and X, you know? I mean, like, you see those three lines of, like, how how you view integration, like, in it. And it's, like, this is taking that more radical approach. Yeah. So I I find it a fascinating movie, conceptually.
1: Yeah. It's um it made me it made me think a lot. I just wish it was a little easier to watch just from like a aesthetic standpoint. Yeah. And the transfer of this movie is terrible. It is that exists. So Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's yeah,
0: I think it's a really uh, you recommend it though, right? Like to people that
1: I think that if you're interested in the genre specifically, but also just the 70s in general, I think it's an important film to watch.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, I think that's, like, what it, what it is. Um, so, yeah, okay, so you ready to move on to number two? Yes. Okay. Hello, everyone. Okay, we're back. Uh, I think Frank is recovered. I was I as, as, so. just so you understand as I was sitting here talking and like ranting about um sweet sweet back and Amory Baraka. Like I, I was watching Frank um slowly die um <laughs> as he was coughing and um uh, but uh, I think we're all good now. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. We'll see what happens. Okay, so number two on your list is 1972's Across 110th Street is directed by Barry Shear it stars Anthony Quinn, Yafet Kodo Paul Benjamin and Richard Ward it has an 80% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 79% from audiences hmm. so this is actually so far the uh, well no Sweetback was 75 but it's, it's, it's the lowest um, out of the critic reviews so you want to tell us a little bit about the movie and what you
1: like about it um Neo-noir takes place in uh, the early 70s about these three three men who conspire to rob a uh, mafia bank um, in Harlem. Uh, that's where the 110th Street um, comes from. It was like the dividing line, I guess, between uh, Central Park and, and Harlem. Right. Um, Which is an old adage, apparently, in the city that... The only
0: people that cross 110th Street are uh, criminals and cops. Like, if, you, if you're going into Harlem, it's, you know, um, was, was I'm assuming, like, kind of
1: like a racist kind of like yeah. adage. Like. Which this movie plays up, that idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially sure. of the racial divide. Right. Um, the three criminals, like, successfully robbed the bank, but end up murdering uh, two mafia accountants and um, three members of the, like, the black crime organization Doc Johnson's like criminal organization mm-hmm. so it's a pretty fast paced movie because it takes place basically over the course of a day where it's a race between the cops trying to find these three these the three like bag men or whatever and bring them in and the mafia trying to find them so they can kill them and get their money back Um yeah, Fet Cotto plays Lieutenant Pope Who's a young, idealistic uh, black officer that gets to sign the case just because of the the press of like a black officer investigating it? Like plays better. Um, Anthony Quinn is the aging Captain Martelli, who's a sort of racist, um, long term detective who's investigated crime in Harlem for like a really long time and has a relationship, albeit like an antagonistic one, with the criminal element. Um, including, like, taking graft from him at times, and mm-hmm. um, but uses that to his advantage to, like, solve crimes. Um, to solve crimes, and also, it's a really interesting character, um, not that you
0: jump too far ahead, but because he also does seemingly this... He, he, there's something mentally where he makes a distinction between citizens, and he does seem to take care... And try to look out for the black citizens, like, right. not, you know, of, of, of the community. Well, so. it said
1: early on that, like, there was a riot and he was the only one that was willing to go in there and try and calm it down. And he was able to successfully, right. like, sure.
0: relieve, like, these tensions. So there's deep racism in this character, but it's, like, also not, he's, he's not the worst person in the world. Right. I
1: mean, it's similar to the racism that's in um the Danny Aiello character in uh sure. Yeah. Uh, do the right thing absolutely where it's like a yep it's portrayed as an inbred like learned racism that just existed over the course of time yeah and not born out of any like real animosity or disdain for people because of the color of their skin sure not to say that he's like always portrayed in a good light but no not the at end, all but you know but, it, but have, it is more
0: nuanced than just
1: what the cops in sweet back let's say like, right yeah he, he does have kind of a redemptive arc like towards the end of the movie yeah um so really that's it. I mean it's the the criminal element led by um De Silvio who's the um son in law of the capo of or he's like a he's a capo for the head of the mafia family. Yeah. Um he's a sadistic um kind of man-child that like really goes well beyond the pale in terms of like torturing and <clears throat> inflicting pain on people. Yeah. Um, and then Martelli and uh Pope trying to take the police aspect um where the Kodo character is trying to do things the right way and Martelli's like just falling back on his old um strong arm tactics of like beating witnesses and forcing confessions and Pope is trying to keep him away from doing that stuff. Um pretty pretty taut, fast paced movie. Um some really great scenes like inside of tenement houses and row homes and whatever you call them. Um, You know, with like the mafia chasing down these men, like finding them and like holding them and torturing them to find out like who else was involved. Um, Interesting storyline with uh, Harris, who's the head of the three that like robbed the the bank um, where he's sick and he's really just trying to get money so he can support himself and his wife. Um, And that's tragic too, because she ends up getting killed in a shootout when both the mafia and the police like kind of converge on his location. Um, Really like long ending with him evading police and causing like some pretty ridiculous destruction. It kind of veers away from being in the same way that shaft kind of turns into this weird, like paramilitary exercise at the end. Like this is, I mean, he's got this Thompson, and he's just shooting people on the streets and shooting people on the rooftops, and he blows up a car um, that's got the the two like black criminal henchmen in it, and it's it's I <clears throat> if I have any real criticism of the movie, I feel like that went on for way too long, like that <clears throat> pursuit of him by the police and his eventual um, eventual death at the end. I think that's fair, yeah. Um, but really, just like a well, well-paced, well-plotted crime thriller, um, you can see a lot of influence in it in terms of the dynamic between like the police and the criminals, and the way that like it's written. Um, the focus on the criminal element is being more than just criminals. Like there's a effort to um, humanize and provide backstory to like these people, especially the three who end up robbing um the worst like botched robbery like it doesn't make any sense like why it goes so bad because um i can't remember the middle guy's name but like you can't like load um can't toss bundles of money into the suitcase he's like fumbling it like oh and then drops it on the floor and that's what leads to um harris shooting everybody yeah um One of the interesting, like most interesting things about this movie for me is this is one of the first uses of Aeroflex cameras in filming um, where they were more lightweight and shoulder mounted. So they were able to film in tight hallways and Hmm. inside of rooms and inside like tight city streets without having like, you know, the large, but what you always think of is like the, like the camera mount setup thing that's on wheels and it's like big and. They were able to actually get in there and film in a more like, like verite style, I guess.
0: That's really interesting because I I, I always thought, having I haven't seen it in a while, but it's like rewatching it again. I guess I, when they're investigating the murder scene, like the from the from the botch robbery. Um, I always, I thought it was really impressive the way it was filmed about how tight everything seemed, like, you know, and it's, like, it's I'm assuming because it probably wasn't a set, it was actually, like... No, probably, yeah,
1: they, they, it's all filmed on location.
0: Right? right, and it's, like, the fact that they were able to get in and still, like, film all that, like,
1: and it, it was really impressive and it really made it feel realistic. It does. Mm-hmm. I mean, it definitely has a much more modern feel in that respect of, like, you know, again, like, you're not talking about, like, like the studio era where it's, everything's a set everything's on like a sound lot. Like this is filmed like in the actual mm. streets of New York. And um, I know that like pre-production, there was some question about whether or not they'd be able to do it. Um, and they, you know, it's, 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 it's filmed a pretty, pretty strong effect. Um, Quinn does a good job as um, Martelli. Um, pretty interesting that he wasn't like, he's an executive producer on this movie and wasn't originally, Supposed to play the role, but other people turned it down. I can't remember who else, but it was like some famous actors declined the role for various reasons. Mm -hmm. So he just kind of had to take it up. Um, But he does a really good job. Uh, Again, playing like a guy that reprehensible in some ways, um, still kind of noble in other ways, really a complex, complex character. Yeah, Um, like when when he goes, uh,
0: the scene where Pope and Matelli go to See the widow of, which I can't remember which character it is now. Um, I can't remember. I can't remember the character, but it's like the the one, the first of the three that die. Oh yeah, Jay. Yeah, and they and they go to see the widow, and uh, he ends up giving her money. It's like this. Um, this was in his pocket, and like gives her money. Like, and it's like there, there's an element of this man that does care. I think deeply about people. Um. Which seems at odds at times with the way he handles his job. And right. but I like I said, it creates that nuanced character. And I'm usually not a big fan of Anthony Quinn, but I I really love him in this
1: role. I yeah, think he's really, really good. good in it. Yeah. Um yeah. My my favorite scene with him is the scene where uh he and Pope go to um Johnson's headquarters mm-hmm. and Johnson's trying to strong arm him kinda. And he, it's where he kind of ends up like breaking that tie of like the graft and um, throws the the liquor bottle through the TV screen and mm-hmm. basically dares him like to shoot him, right. Um, and it's it's really powerful and yeah. it actually is like one of the first times where you see Kodo like that they're bonding as like police officers sort of where they're kind of even though he doesn't agree with his methods it's still like a fellow fellow cop and right. Um, and there's some really good dialogue to that effect too, early on, especially that like where, uh, Martelli says they're not going to see a black face. They're just going to see a cop mm-hmm. and there's no cop that can go into Harlem, but me basically. And it's, um, uh, some elements too of like, I think that maybe in some ways like influenced like people like Michael Mann, um, when they're escaping in the beginning and it's mm-hmm. like the botched, like the car breaks down and. He keeps like he he can't make the tight turns in the city streets because like cars keep coming Mm -hmm. in every direction and blocking them in. And um, there's there's some real tension there where they have to shoot the um, they end up shooting and killing two police officers um, in their in their getaway. Right. Which is what really like pushes the police into trying to solve the solve the crime. Yeah. Um, Some really good stuff with Harris and his wife um, with him kind of kind Of breaking down physically and trying to still protect her and still be a provider, but he's um sick, mm-hmm. um, recovering drug addict, right? Isn't that yes, like basically yeah. what mm-hmm. it is? Yep. I don't know if they ever really come out and say that's exactly what mm. it is. That's what it's he's enough sick that you know yeah, from, but right. he's basically like taking, I guess, methadone or something to yeah. get himself off of like the withdrawal from heroin, right. Is my guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of implied that. Like, he came back from the war like that, right? Doesn't it say something similar? Like, he was...
0: Yeah, then he ends up in jail, and yeah. then... Right,
1: yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but just really well-developed characters. Um, again, like, I mentioned this earlier when I was talking about Shaft, but a, a movie where Italians are 100%, like, the Mafia is the villains of this movie. Um, although uh, Bumpy Moses is portrayed more as, like, a... I don't know if anti-hero is the right word, but like a just criminal in Shaft. Um, somebody who has like morals and standards and Doc Johnson is not that, like he's he's a, a criminal. Right. Just trying to like wrest control from the Italians of Harlem. Um, the guy that plays uh, De Silvio the son-in-law, is fantastic in it. Like he's a like a cretin and just absolutely believable is like this really sensitive in terms of like taking offense to things and getting his feelings hurt, mm-hmm. but takes absolute joy in like, you know, they 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 crucify the Jay character. Um he hangs Man, I wish I could remember that character's name. The the other, the second robber. Hangs him upside down and like throws him basically off the building and kills him. Yeah. A lot of um like showing the the black criminals like reacting negatively to that. Like they don't understand like this over the top, like psychosis almost. And I I wonder sometimes if like, that's sort of an influence of people like, like later on people like Gary Oldman, who kind of take that in their like portrayals of, you know, you look at something like his portrayal of the um, corrupt detective and the professional. Um, and it's kind of like similar mannerisms in some ways, but just a really, really great movie. Um, Great crime drama, uh, really ahead of its time in terms of, like, the portrayal, the dynamic of, like, the police and the criminal element, and, like, what's an acceptable, you know, what's acceptable, like, lack of morals when it comes to, like, the greater good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I'd, I really enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, like, the, the element of the, the white cop and the black
0: cop, I mean, that predates this movie by at least what like five years maybe with like in the heat of the night and right. stuff like that yeah. but i think it's done not to say that's not realistic but i it's just already like from the time period of whatever that was like 67 probably like to 72 like partially due to like the influence of the genre like these things have changed radically in the, the right. realism of things um and we didn't talk about that with sweet back because we talked probably I, or i talked probably too much about sweet back but it's at, at the same time like i i think you go to that, like, Sidney Portier, like, being, like, the the primary, like, you know, like, black actor that right. time period. And he had to be portrayed to white audiences in a very specific way. And there was always this kind of, like... It was, just, it was strategically done, I think, to make him acceptable for... Non-threatening. Yes, non-threatening to white audiences. And I think that's also an important thing to sweetback is, like, just breaking through the idea of being threatening. But... In this movie, I think it's like this that, that relationship is portrayed in a slightly more realistic way. And um, I think that's really interesting. And I think it makes it maybe even more valuable to me than in The Heat of the Night um, in terms of that, the, that relationship. But, yeah, you're right. It's way, way ahead of its time. It's the only thing I was thinking when I was watching this is, Christ, this feels just as modern. I mean, like this movie feels modern. Like it feels like it like. Right. You know, take away the nineteen seventies look of the cars and the everything. It's like, and the the establishing shots again. I love in this movie, like the the ruined beauty of oh yeah the 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 tenement houses and all those kind of things. Like is just like what you would see in um, the Baltimore productions of Homicide or The Wire and things things along those lines. Um, Cotto is really solid in this. Um strong character, strong performance, I think. Uh we talked about Giardello earlier. It's like this this feels like what who Giardello and Homicide Life on yeah. the Street would have been 20 years prior. And like to your point, like yeah, even makes references, uh, you know, in Homicide to like some of the elements of like it, his, his him talking about life in the 70s being a cop takes elements of this movie even. But uh, I also think that there's things that like don't get, don't get enough credit with this movie is how they portray the criminals. Um, you're right. Like there's a sympathetic portrayal to these criminals to some degree. Right. It doesn't mean they're not doing actions that are wrong, but like they're doing them for reasons that are socially conscious, I think. Like they're like it's like even if you don't agree with the actions, you can understand what sure. drives
1: people to maybe do these things. Um, to support their family, to get out of the the dead end nature of like this job that they have, sure, it's, right. I mean, yeah, they're so yeah. It, it's um, like there there's those
0: elements to it. I, I I think that like the way you talk about like the way that it's like the some of the t- scenes build tension is way ahead of its time. Right, like getting down into like kind of like you look at something like Kubrick and The Killing, which I think he's trying to he's taking this like that a lot of noirs do but it's like the systematic approach the things of like showing you all the details that lead to them committing this heist or somebody solving this crime and it does that in this uh tension building way where those are more kind of like fa- like just this factual documentary style kind of showing this is doing it ex- michael mann's a really good example of that of doing it in this way of like building tension at the same time
1: right well like that Early on, the scene what you you talked about it when they're investigating the shooting, where Coto says, "I'm Lieutenant Pope, I'm in charge here," and Quinn just ignores him, right? And he has to go back and say, "I don't know if you heard me, I'm Lieutenant Pope, I'm in charge here," and he just basically like dismisses him again. Mm-hmm. And it's that great scene where the um, I don't know what what his yeah he's role the chief, the 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 chief, chief of detectives yeah pulls him into the bathroom and has this mm-hmm. conversation with him and. Quinn has like kind of like a mini like breakdown almost because he feels you know I'm I'm old I'm 50 we're both 55 or whatever he says and what happens to us next like what do they do with Mm us? um you talked about the establishing shots like one of the greatest things is um sort of like the sweep into the city and like going through the streets to the um the use of the uh 110th Street Song. Mm-hmm. Um, bad version of that song I think. Like yeah. I don't like the the,
0: the, the version that's po- been popularized in re- in the past 20 years by Jackie Brown is, is the superior version yes. to me of that song, but with with And, and one and one of my favorite soul songs. Oh, no, it's amazing. Yeah. With, with
1: with him singing the across 110th yeah. Street and not it being like a right. choir of like mm-hmm. women yeah. singing it. Um so that's pretty impressive. So it's funny that you bring up Sidney Poitier, so it was actually um John Wayne was. Anthony Quinn wanted John Wayne to play that role, hmm. um, and also Burt Lancaster, and they passed. Mm-hmm. He also had cast Sidney Poitier to play um, the Pope role, hmm. <clears throat> and there was kind of an outcry among like the residents of Harlem because like they were really involved in the production because they were filming there, mm-hmm. and that's when he relented and cast Yafet Kodo. So, mm. what his, was the, the what was the outcry? I guess because he was just too Hollywood. He was like, they wanted someone that was more realistic representation of. Hmm.
0: That's interesting. Um, yeah.
1: Like a young black detective and they felt that Sidney Poitier. Because Yael is really young in this movie and he's portrayed mm. as young and acts like a guy that's sort of starting, like just learning the procedural way of like investigating a crime. Yeah. And Sidney Poitier, like while not old, would have been like older when oh, this yeah. movie came out. Right. I,
0: I think that's I, I didn't know that. And I think that's fascinating for a number of reasons, because one, it shows the changing time period. Like you think about how well Sidney Poitier during that, like roughly a right years before that is well respected. Four or five years,
1: yeah. He's still well. I mean, well, he's still really
0: respected, but it's like people are already, though, willing to ready to move on. From that, like it's 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 in the air. Yeah, like if the, if the, if the, if the, if people are like that, there's an outcry about the idea that he would play this role, and here's the prime opportunity again of this genre of like giving opportunities to new actors, right? As well, and I, I think that's fascinating, just as a as, as a as a story of like a sample of like some of the things we've been talking about.
1: Yeah. yeah. So it's a it's a great movie. Um, yeah, definitely worth watching. Yeah, uh, I think I had to rent this one and they yeah. had to pay for it yeah you, you rented it on prime i, I run it on google but yeah 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 I, you have to rent it um but if you have the chance to watch it like it's definitely worth watching especially if you're a fan of like neo-noir or yeah. like the crime yeah, crime movies yeah uh, in no, general this,
0: no rewatching it again it's like this would be pretty high on my crime movie list like for the 70s it would definitely be top 10 for me
1: um yeah and, I, I i feel the same way yeah The only thing, so, again, like, I I think the ending is a little too long, and I think every once in a while the dialogue gets a little clunky, Um, and I know it's because they used a lot of, like, unknown actors to portray a lot of these roles, Mm. Um, like local actors who, I I guess, weren't just as whatever. Yeah. I don't want to say talented, but experienced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah but for but the I, most part it works really well yeah but the chaos of like when
0: they pull everybody into the police station yeah and i'm sure a lot of those people were locals and like i i love the realism of that of like just the chaos and the yeah. way that they're able to like move that camera through that crowd and Mattelli's just going through one at a time and dealing with this person's issue and telling this person to shut up and like right i like it, it, it represents the chaos of like a high level investigation like right because he knows them right yeah and he, and he knows it right and it's interesting so like
1: we we'd already, you know, talked about now Yafet Koto playing as Giordello in Homicide. Very reminiscent of like some of the scenes in Homicide where they had they've had there's um specifically it reminds me a lot of um The Junior Bunk, like the first time they bring him in when he kind of breaks down. Uh-huh. Um just the the movement and the the way that people are kind of interacting with each other in the background and yeah it's it's yeah. um it's, it's a really well done
0: <clears throat> the other thing that when i was watching this movie i thought about when they finally not that they ever become friends i think but it's like when they kind of more solidify the idea after the stuff with doc johnson and they start really actively working together um there is this feeling like the way they shoot they start shooting them in tandem in the same shot After that, a lot of times walking down hallways together, like you know, that and uh, keeping them both in the same shot at all times, yeah, to kind of show subtly, I think, that change that subtle change in the relationship that's happened where they're now working together as opposed to kind of against each other. And there's this element that, um, uh, very much of like LA Confidential, like when Bud White and Ed Exley right start working together, and when I thought about the way that uh, the director subtly did that by the way he shows them rather than cutting to medium shots and stuff like that and started showing them in frame together facing the same direction side by side you know um i realized that i that there's times and shots that like uh hansen ends up doing the exact same thing yes and i don't i'm not saying this is that was inspired by this but it's very similar but it's done 25 years before like, I mean it like the the shears doing. The was. other
1: thing too, like to bring up that point is that a lot of times Quinn is shown, even though Quinn has like a smaller stature than the Kodo, the way they shoot it, where Quinn is more prominent in the shot. Mm-hmm. Um and that changes in the scene where Quinn is drinking before yep. they go to um yeah. before they, they go for the final like strike to get Harris. Mm. Um and Kodo's in the doorway, like towering over Quinn, who's kinda like in the foreground like crouched down and that's where sort of like that symbolic like passing of the torch which has already happened because johnson calls Kodo, calls pope and is the one who tells pope like this is where you're gonna find him and he's like you know that means that you're you're the guy now mm. <clears throat> but also just that Kodo like extending that olive branch and saying like hey like you know you're part of this too like you can you're coming with us and they get up and then he goes and is a key part in bringing Harris down but it's just um yeah really really well done movie
0: listen to the New York Times review on this um Roger it's Roger Greenspun as opposed to Canby, but um Greenspun says <clears throat> that the film manages it wants to be unfair to blacks vicious towards whites and insulting to anyone that feels that race relations might consist of something better than improvised genocide by the time it is over, virtually everyone has been killed by various means, but mostly by a machine gun that makes lots of noise and splatter, splatters lots of blood and probably serves as the nearest substitute for an identifiable hero. People don't fare so well. When they aren't being killed, they're being tortured either by the rest rest of the cast or the director who tends to observe life As if through a distorted lens or in extreme close-ups that reduce faces to nervous twitches, tense lips, and the like. Sheer style runs very close to genre parody. But about personal violence, it is almost hysterically serious, and audiences for whom hatred is enough to turn 110th Street into a very popular movie indeed. So much and so much nonsense has been written about the black exploitation film that I hesitate to point out what may be the one perfect example of the type. But across 110th Street, produced, written, directed by whites, really does exploit its situations and its actors and even its violence in a desperate ripoff of the latest news about death in our cities.
1: I mean, that guy is writing from a very personal point of view of somebody that lived in New York at the time. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I have no argument against like what he says there. I mean, I'm sure that he feels in some ways that I don't know. I always hate the argument, I don't know. I mean art imitates life, right? And like yeah. I think it's a pretty nuanced look at like I, all of its characters. I agree. And the complexity of what makes Martelli racist, you know, like is he really I don't know.
0: I've questioned you off air like about some of these movies, like to the point where it's like I've asked you what about these to your exploitation movies? And I told you that I thought that some of the movies that you picked on this list were are starting to bridge, I think, this movie and I think the next one, the first one. Yeah. I think they're starting to bridge the gap between the idea of exploitation and representation. Right. And and I think that this is one of those movies early on in the genre in 72 that I think is like moving towards representation like, so it's like, I get where he's coming from in terms of personalizing this because he lives in the city. But at the same time, it's like, are we not supposed to tell th- these stories that are largely based on things
1: that happen? Right, but remember, you're coming out of the whole... I'm coming in about it in hindsight. No, I'm saying, like, like if, if if you look at this, like, this time period, like, this is the cusp of what the 70s would become, which is, like... Yeah. Movies that were willing to look at the worst aspects of life and humanity with an unflinching eye and tell that story without like sugarcoating it or cutting corners. And you're coming out of a decade of film where there still is a lot of like idealism and it's about hope and love and peace. And Mm. you know, these movies are not about that. These movies are about like, this is what's actually in a dramatized and, You know, exaggerated way, but still, like, this is what's happening. Like, this is what drugs is doing to this community. This is what, you know, the crime families are opportunistically taking advantage of these people's poverty and addiction to sort of, whatever, like, increase their hold on their power. And, you know, these three men, Harris and his two accomplices, are taking some of that power back by, you know, robbing this bank sort of the yeah. crime banker right. from, I don't know crime banker, yeah it sounds yeah, silly yeah. um I don't know I I've never thought that you should shy away from like most topics in film like I think the film can be an excellent way to make you think about something while not without reading like the gritty details of like the news or like actual events And show you like an artistic interpretation of like problems that exist. And I think this movie does a good job of that. And even does kind of portray Harris in the end as sort of a Robin Hood type figure with the way he throws the bag of money off the roof down to the like kids playing below. Um, And I think you're supposed to have some sympathy for him, but he's not a totally sympathetic character. I mean, he's still a criminal. Hmm. You know, he still is a cop killer and he still is a guy that. <clears throat> escalates the situation to a much worse extreme by like sh- you know in the first 10 minutes of the movie like shooting a room full of people when maybe does he need to do that you know so it just shows that characters can be complex without like distilling them to you know like one dimensional roles and it does that in some ways like the Italians are very one dimensional like they're all sure bloodthirsty you know drug-peddling crime lords and, yeah. like, psychopaths. Yeah. But everybody else at least has an element. Like, even Doc Johnson, even Doc Johnson has an Johnson, element yeah. of, right. like, nuance to why he's doing what he's doing. And he's using his relationship with the police to kind of, like, make it easier for him to commit, like, crimes that they don't necessarily care about as long as nobody's, like, getting killed. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like, you know, Martelli and later on Pope were able to work with him, so. Yeah. yeah. No, I...
0: I, I I do think his thing about his sheer style, go, like bordering genre parody, um, has been historically proven now to be just foolish. Um, right. Considering I think not only this influenced film, I think and filmmakers, I think it influenced television directors considerably. Um, yeah. Like if you look at through like the eighties, like, and early nineties in terms of
1: like. This looks like that stuff does, like, in 1972. I mean, all this stuff mm-hmm. shot in location is very technically impressive. Yes. And the way that they can shoot, like, inside of, like, shops and on the streets and in buildings and everything just feels, like, tight it and does. immediate. And, and claustrophobic. And, yeah. It's... And, it's, it's, it's yeah. 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 It's extremely well done. But again, like, yeah. I don't know. I mean... I can't think of a good analogy to today but there's a lot of movies today that you know maybe 30 years from now I look back and think like oh well how could they not have seen like how important it was to yeah. talk about whatever right and we kind of cast like a more negative light on it just because like it feels to I'm trying to think there was something I saw recently that was just like reference after reference to to Trump and to like our modern political climate and it just felt so hackneyed and overdone and i wonder if maybe like you know far removed from today like maybe i'll look back and be like oh okay well i understand like why the director is doing that whereas now it just feels like cheap to me
0: yeah yeah i understand what you're saying i feel the the two popes subtextually does some stuff at the very end of that movie after telling just like a pretty simple story about like these two characters does some subtextual stuff at the very end of it um like the very very end, uh, does some some textual stuff that's like making a comment. I think on modern world politics, like you know, because it's not just um, it's not just here that like kind of like we're going more sure like you know and towards uh, uh, isolationism and stuff like that. I mean, it's happening in a lot of places. So, um, but it's certainly like making that point. And I and I, and I you know it's just kind of like oh, okay, got it. Like you know, but. Um, I didn't think it was necessary to throw it in, but you're right. Like, maybe I'll look back and like, you know, in a historical context and think like, oh, that was, you know, it's probably worth doing, you know, maybe it was like, you know, a little pressing or it's something. Also in
1: 1972, like who was seeing this all the time? You know, you had the news on for 30 minutes a night. You mm-hmm. read like a newspaper every morning. Right. So you, yeah. didn't, you weren't, like today we're just so inundated with it all the time that yeah. it's like, I actually want more escapism. Like, I don't need to be, right. like, beat over the head with sure. the thing that I see. Yeah. You know, every time I <clears throat> look at the internet or, like, watch the news or whatever, like, you're yeah. seeing it constantly. So sure. I don't – know.
0: Yeah, I'll just – I guess I'll just – like you said, maybe I'm just saying it in a different way, but it's like I'll never understand how somebody can't respect, like, a th- I, what I think is a thoughtful look at the way – like, real life, you know, or right. so, some facsimile of real life. Um, I I'll just never understand how people can yeah. like, criticize that. I mean, necessarily, but we also grew up in a different time, like right. we, you know, sure. after
1: this. So, but we watched plenty of movies about like nuclear annihilation and yeah. Yeah. the Russians invading, and right. I don't know. I mean, yeah. was able to separate the reality from the fantasy, kind sure. of. Yeah, yeah. I don't know.
0: Okay, so number one movie on your list is 1975's Coolie High, directed by Michael Schultz. Uh, it is starring Glenn Terman, Lawrence hilden jacobs and Garrett Morris. It has an eighty-three percent from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and eighty-nine percent from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about the movie and what you like about it so much?
1: Um, so it's a pretty, pretty much just kind of like a slice of life movie about um, two best friends, high school seniors in the mid-seventies that are approaching graduation. Uh, the one, Cochise is a star basketball player who you learn early on has gotten a scholarship to go to grambling university to play basketball and uh preach who's a very book smart um loves poetry you know really excels at school and has a bright future as a you know like getting out of his the whatever the area he lives in chicago right is where this takes place yeah um They go to Cooley High. It's a lot of, again, just like this is what a day is like in their lives. This is what they go through, you know, before school, after school. They're shooting like craps in the bathroom and in the back of like the local um, diner. um, Trying to woo girls, which Cochise is much more successful at because of his like star stature as a basketball player. Um, Getting mixed up in minor disputes and squabbles and eventually getting brought in by the police for stealing a car and like joyriding um which is like the the crux of the movie because one of their teachers talks to his friend who's the um detective on the case and gets him to let those two off Cochise and um preach while putting his other the other two accomplices in jail for stealing the car because Cochise and Preach have a bright future in these two. He makes the case to let those two go, but then the detective's like, well, somebody's got to take a fall for it, and these two are already have a record, um, which ends up leading to Cochise's eventual murder. Um, Interesting look at, like, just the pubescent, like, sexual dynamics of, like, I don't know, multiple partners and like Cochise is very prolific in like betting women and the way that like women are treated and objectified, but doesn't do it in a way that like dismisses them as people. Like they're still, you know, one of the saddest scenes in the movie is when, um, preachers, mother gets home and finds out that he was taken in for joy riding and <clears throat> is working three jobs and doesn't understand like why he can't just behave like more like an adult. And, Just passes out like while she's getting ready to like whip him basically with a with a belt Mm -hmm. really tender scene where like he bends down and kisses her head and I don't know like I just it's really like narrative wise the plot is really just like these two getting out of the area they live in Chicago and like moving on with their lives. And there's really not much more than that like it's kind of a almost like like grease without the musical aspect really just like a look at like an I, I think a pretty like honest and open portrayal of like how growing up in that era was um
0: no, it's based some degree off of um the writers right you know like real life so and how he could, got
1: out and went to school and yeah like became a screenwriter a right a screenwriter mm-hmm. yeah
0: um, and it is ba- you know and It is based off a friend of his that ended up dying. Maybe not exactly under those circumstances, but ended up dying
1: and like like you know before he was able to get out. Yeah, really great performances. I think overall, Uh Um, I love the direction. Like I love the the openness of the filming. Like in the city itself, you know, like the long shots of them just like walking down the street and sort of like taunting each other. Um, God, the one kid what is he what is he gets shit on him right Mm -hmm. and then like i don't know yeah there's just some really funny moments some really good like camaraderie building like elements of it where you just feel like these people like actually exist and are friends and i don't know it's, it's it's interesting to look at like you know this the dynamic of the single mother household where she's raising multiple children um where they kind of have to look out for each other, but are still like children in the sense that they squabble and tell on each other. And the interesting look at what does it take to like get out of a situation like that? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and the guys that, you know, they're four friends, but these two like preaching Cochise are kind of leaving their friends behind because they're about to like escape and just like, can they ever really escape? Like that's the, you know, with, with Cochise getting murdered, Um, which is heartbreaking um yeah i don't know it's just it's a really well done movie yeah
0: and glenn turman i mean is is really good in this i i I didn't look up to see how old he was when this movie was made but um he's become a well-known character actor uh you know you you still see him stuff like in the last 10 years pretty consistently um but yeah he's really good here in this role as preach um And Garrett Morris doesn't have a lot of screen time, but when, I don't know, I know Garrett Morris from Saturday Night Live pretty exclusively, like, that's what I know him for, and I think of him as a comedian, but he definitely, like, showed, like, acting ability, uh, I thought, really well in these, like, in these small scenes, like, as the instructor, uh, too, so, yeah, I thought the acting was really good in this, I thought it, again, I thought this was one of those movies, just like I said, about 100, across 110th Street, as, um, and this is a little later, but it's still classified always as a, a black exploitation film. But I really think it's coming out of you know, maybe that's why it got funded, you know. I mean, I don't know about like the funding of these things. Like Well, ma- this was
1: it's it's American International, right? Right, it is, yep. So it's just right. Roger yeah. Corman just had money and sure wanted to make a movie that he actually thought he believed in. Yeah,
0: yeah. But it's like I I don't know, I I, I think this is moving more towards like the um the idea of like Telling different experiences as opposed to exploiting. Sure. Experiences. I mean, it's a
1: coming of age tale in the same way that Stand By Me is. Sure. You Absolutely. Know. Yep. yep. Just different setting. Yeah. And I guess like it's lumped in with Black Exploitation because it's like all black actors for the most part, except for like maybe a couple white mm-hmm. actors in it. Yeah. I can't even remember. But it's not like an exploitation film. I mean, it's a very touching and nostalgic look at like childhood mm. and rough circumstances. Yeah. I think. Yeah.
0: Um, I couldn't find any uh, professional criticism of this, but I did look through the audience reviews. Um, and this one says that um, overall it was disappointing, that Preach is a downright unlikable um, character, not because of his backstory, which is interesting, but because of what the director decides to focus on, which he says he singularly focuses on um, his errant story in a pivotal sequence when he's cornered, he still can't ha- help but, quote, act a fool, unquote, and be, quote, funny, unquote. Um, Then we're required to buy into a very serious, unfunny conclusion. And they say that they think that there are serious tone issues, like, throughout the movie.
1: I mean, Preach is just a guy that has all this, like, intellect and insight and like love for art and literature and he's got to hide that fact because he wants to be accepted by people so he he makes jokes you know he's smart enough to understand like how to play craps well so or he's figured it out or whatever and like he uses that to ingratiate himself with people that he might not otherwise like have anything in common with yeah so i mean i understand that i don't know
0: yeah i mean and, and you see this done like um when um When Simon uh, does uh, The Corner, like, you see these stories told many years after this movie's made, but you see these stories told, like, in different variations of them um, inside the black community of, like, these uh, kids growing up in cities, and, like, they have talent, and they're very bright, and, like, you know, they have all this potential, but... In the circumstances to be able to fit in, you know, or the realities of the neighborhood and stuff like that, they end up, like, getting involved in little scams or drugs or, you know, and dealing and, like, all these other things. And it's, like, that it's, you know, and like, I I think it's the same thing as, like, you know, like, in order to kind of fit in in the realities of, like, the environment he lives in, like, he kind of has to hide some of those things um, in order to... Wallace and Michael
1: are really good examples of that in the In The Wire. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean obviously they're both like deeply involved in like dr- the drug game sure. at that point but like very you know characters that are really well developed and you can see like depth beyond just being like low-level hustlers and like a drug organization right yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean I don't know like I'd always rather talk about you know the wasteland or something but I can make poop jokes and so <laughs> we get your laughs so right <laughs> you gotta do it sometimes right <laughs> Yeah, but I really, I I love this movie. Um, <laughs> I saw this movie initially just because like I, anything that like, like I was obsessed with Roger Corman when I was younger. Um, still one of my favorite like creative forces in Hollywood. Like one of the more important guys that I don't know gets enough credit just for like all the ships he launched, like so to speak. But so I watched it originally because of that. Um, saw it again maybe in the early to mid 2000s. Um, I'd always had the line from, a uh, clan in the front, um, the Wu-Tang song, mm-hmm. the Claudine went to Cooley high and had mad kids line. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just think it's a really well done movie. I think it's very poignant at times. I think it's like funny at times. I think it's really well acted. Um, I think it moves at a really good pace. Like, I don't think there's a whole lot of fluff for a movie that's not really like quote unquote about anything like it, it mm. you know it, it tells a good story of like these people and their friendships and their lives and you know i mean it is it's it, it's sad at the end like that review i guess is right that it's the unfunny ending but that's not the point like Preach isn't meant to be a joke he's meant to be like a he's a well-rounded like understandable character right like he's yeah. unlikable at times cuz he like he makes, makes bad mistakes. decisions yeah, yeah right he's, he's mm-hmm. an idiot sure in terms of like some of his choices, yeah, but he's that he makes. young, like too. It's like it's it's what happens in youth,
0: you know. What yeah. happens in adulthood for a lot of people shit. like. I mean, make bad decisions. I mean, um you know, it doesn't right. You know, it doesn't mean that they're completely, make them all the time. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't mean they're unlikable necessarily. Some people, I guess, depending on the decision, right? Yeah, you know, but um, you got to know the context of the decision. Sure, too. right, right. Um. But yeah, I mean, in the unfunny conclusion that he's talking about, like with the death of Cochise, I mean, it, it ends up being the thing that catapults him to leaving.
1: Like, I mean, ultimately, right? Um, and helping him be successful, like, right? Ultimately, in his sure. life, sure. So, so okay.
0: Any final thoughts on the list overall or the genre? Like,
1: in hindsight, I sort of wish that I would have included something like coffee. I think um, I would have liked to have hmm. talked about. The portrayal of, like, women as leading characters in these movies. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's something, like, we'll find another way to put on the list at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I I wish I would have had more time to watch more and maybe, like, developed a little bit of a different list or we could have had, like, a little more conversation. Um, like, like you said, I have a lot with, like, my job and just life in general. And it's kind of hard for me to sit down and I have to watch movies for this and then. My then then, then all you're right, you're, you're in Cage, Cage movies, movies right? right. I got to uh-huh. watch at least a few a week. Right. Um, I've only watched one this week, so I'm really behind. Uh-huh. Um, I think I'm going to watch Con Air, though. Like, I'm going to find a way to watch Con Air uh-huh. tomorrow because that movie is so bad. Yes. And I just want to see it again. Put the bunny back yeah. in the box, yeah. Right. Right, because that's, that's where Malkovich has the bunny... And the gun to it's the Not bunny.
0: Malkovich, but it's a, yeah, it's not that character. It's a different one, but mm, pretty it sure it's not Malkovich. Malkovich. I it? don't think it's
1: Malkovich. John Lethkin, no?
0: No. It's one of the ones that I don't know who that character is, but, um, like, I might recognize the name if I heard it, but, um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, um,
1: but no, it was, it was, it was enjoyable watching these movies again, especially, yeah, um, I agree. 110th Street and, uh, Coolie high yeah
0: and i had never seen bingo long before and i enjoyed the movie i'm glad i watched it
1: yeah um, it was it, it it made me feel good to watch that movie like it yeah. made me miss my grandma right yeah yeah
0: okay so that is our list for the week um we will be back uh in the next week or two with a new episode um and uh, other than that uh thank you for listening if um you have any ideas for lists, please feel free to contact us on facebook or instagram uh i'm trying to think what else is there there's uh you know i guess that's the point yeah there's our you know yes oh yes yes i haven't mentioned that in a while and probably i should be like promoting that in some way but so in terms of um ways to help us uh, like uh, you know we appreciate like everybody who's listening and you know um automatically downloads each week and everything but ways that you can help us is, you know, you don't even have to write a review, but just going and, like, leaving a rating, like, on whatever podcatcher app that you are listening on. Uh, if it's, you know, Apple Podcasts, you know, Google Podcasts, you know, any anything, in, you know, else. Uh, leave us a rating. Like, that kind of thing helps. Comments help even more, honestly. Right. But, uh, you know, if all you have time for is just click a button and leave a rating, that still helps us uh, get a little bit more attention um and likes and shares if possible um we'd really appreciate it uh and other than that um thank oh, you i
1: started last week posting the podcast on the R podcast on reddit okay so yeah. if you see that post just give me a <laughs> give you an, give up you an upvote. Yeah, vote <laughs> right
0: okay um <clears throat> so other than that thank you and i uh, hope you have a good week yep have a good night